All right, everyone, and thank you for joining with another episode, another episode of Two A Lifestyle, I should say. It just it's already starting. Mike got me fucking you know stitched up uh, before we started. Uh, hashtag Fauci didn't kill himself. Starting it off right now, Mike. Yes. Mike just just started it. So uh, before we get into all the good stuff, let's go ahead and get the intro out. If you haven't already, go ahead and check out Two A Lifestyle on social media. We are on everything as the two is spelled out. Two A Lifestyle, except for Instagram, it is the number Two A Lifestyle. Uh, you could check out Mike at Just Pews on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check out his Tat Cat Actual on Instagram. You can see both of us at justpews.com where we were writing articles to try to keep y'all informed. Uh, Mike, I just sent you the uh, that article that we've been talking about, so there should be yep. a new one coming out. Uh, so please pay attention to that. You know, let the hate flow, I should say. It's a weapons light versus uh, handheld light article uh, that I wrote that I didn't realize people were so so heated about but uh, yeah, i'm still i'm already a little butthurt about it just yeah. all, so. so read it and let me know what you guys think uh also check out our patreon go ahead you didn't ask my opinion first I'm really mad oh <laughs> and, and for those that didn't know that is cole from uh the former tactical dalai lama he is still on uh instagram uh he is a a good buddy of ours and he, this is actually your second show that you've uh, done with us. Uh, you were around for the High Point interview when Yeetgate was going on. Uh, you decided to hop around for that. So for those that don't know, that is Cole. Uh, he is here. High Point, we need the Yeet Cannon 9 now. Not yesterday, now. I check it out every week to see when the hell that's coming out. Whenever I get an email, I was like, is it finally fucking coming out? No, two years later. I, still I think big. they just cannot meet their price plate probably i don't know well they, know. they keep saying that they're going to do it but you're i think you're right especially with the materials the way they are even though you use basically yep. just pot so dude i feel bad for their media guy because he has like no idea what's going on he's like look guys i just run this page i have no idea what's going on with the, with the production of this damn thing well when the leadership um, not to beat a dead horse but when the leadership with high point changed they made a lot of problems you know they, they teased us with the idea of a double stack carbine, which was amazing, and it would have been based on the magazine Yeet Cannon, everyone presumes. Um, the Yeet Cannon, and they were talking about a partnership with Russian ammo manufacturers. Um, you know, I think they really just teased us real hard and keep going. Um, the Turf Defender partnering with the Russians. That's right. That, Did that's you ever get that ammo? Remember that chick said she was going to send nope. you some ammo? Oh. Nope. I, um... I sent her my contact, me some ammo to test. I never got any. That's all right. I still have shelves. What happened there? Which brand is it? It was a rebranded Barnall. I don't remember exactly what it was, yeah. but I, I think, think I'd recognize it if I saw it. I think True Shot Gun Club's trying to sell it too, and I didn't recognize the brand. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't know this stuff. I'm not going to try pushing it right now with how things are. <laughs> hey, Mike, you know how you would know it? How's that? If, if you go back and listen to the podcast. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you yep. got me there. There you go. Yep. There you go. Uh, well, shit, man. We, we got off. I think that's all the stuff that we got out of. We have a special interview. Uh, we have Dan from Silencer Shop. He is the CEO of Silencer Shop. Uh, me and Mike were around to talk to him. So let's go ahead and get in that interview. Oh. Into the cycle, bitch. Hey. Into the cycle, bitch. Hey. Into the cycle, bitch. Oh, 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 oh. 
All right, let's get into the main segment of the show. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Dave from Silencer Shop, and you are actually the CEO of Silencer Shop, correct? Yep, that's right. And you are on the board for the American Suppressors Association. Yep, that's right, too. That's awesome. And that is a very little-known organization that a lot of people don't know. Whenever they think of 2A rights organizations, they always think of NRA or FPC or GOA. But, you know, Second Amendment rights includes accessories to firearms. And as we all in the firearms community believe, suppressors should not be an NFA item. At the most, you should get a 4473 just like you do with the regular firearm. So, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, I mean, really, my, my background, I, I was a computer programmer my whole career. It's not probably typical in this industry, but uh, kind of got into silencers when my son, my son was born 100% deaf in his right ear, and he, you know, I was just looking for, you know, protecting his hearing in his other ear, and, you know, had a couple bad experiences buying silencers and wound up kind of starting a company by accident. <laughs> so it's a, you know, it's kind of a, a weird path, but Silencer Shop was born, and that's that's pretty much my history. Awesome. And now you are uh, on the board of the American Suppressor Association. And again, like I said, that's a. I mean, personally, I think that's probably a um, a very unknown Second Rights, you know, Second Amendment rights organization. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, American Suppressor Association. They do a really good job of working with all the other groups you mentioned, but the focus really is on suppressor rights, and they've had an amazing amount of success, especially at the state levels, um, legalizing suppressors, legalizing suppressors for hunting, moving suppressor rights forward at the state level. At the federal level, it's really about you know kind of holding the line. Um, personally, I think this industry, the silencer industry, is so small that I think as it grows, and, and ASA is providing the shelter for that. But as the as the industry grows, I think we have a very real, you know, possibility of suppressors being pulled out of the NFA altogether because they shouldn't be in there. Absolutely, hundred percent. And you know, back in what was it, twenty sixteen, uh, about when you know the American uh, Hearing Protection Act was you know being introduced federally, you know, it was very kind of on the cusp of being. Hopefully, you know, a lot of people thought it was going to be passed. A lot of people in the gun community thought it was going to be passed. But unfortunately, uh, that's about when Vegas happened. uh, And, you know, things just kind of went sideways in reference to trying to take back our Second Amendment rights that were, uh, you know, infringed upon in previous federal legislation. So uh, tell us what got you into guns, Dave. You know, I I grew up, I guess, at a time where guns were normal, right? I mean, my dad just had them laying around the house. I kept the 22 under my bed. You know, I... I went hunting all the time and that's what, what I did. Right. And then, you know, as I got into my adult life, got married and never really thought of myself as a gun guy, but I knew I'd grown up around them. And then after I'm sure everybody remembers hurricane Katrina. Oh yeah. uh, That that's when I first had the thought, you know, we need to get a a handgun for home defense. And I, you know, kind of, I guess subconsciously thought I knew how to handle a handgun signed up for a course just so my wife could learn how to use it. And crazily enough, realized that handguns are a whole heck of a lot harder, at least for me, than I thought. I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And then I got addicted to training, shooting competition, going to classes, heck, even just standing there shooting targets. I got absolutely addicted to it and got back into hunting as as an adult once my kids started getting to an age where they could go with me. And it's, uh, yeah, that's kind of my gun history. 
<laughs> so you said you shoot competitions. What kind of, you know, what were some of your favorite competitions that you shot? You know, the really, I was, I haven't done it for a while. Once I started Silencer Shop, I just got too busy. But it's, uh, I was shooting Ipstick and IDPA. Those were the two that I was mostly focused on. There's a group here locally that does carbine matches that were super fun. But that's really, I was never really good enough to, to be like a, to win matches. Although I did win one once. <laughs> But it's a, there was never, I, I was really more, I, I just always tried to be in the top third, right? It was kind of always my goal. Yeah. And what is your favorite handgun that you own? You know, I'm pretty boring in that regard. I've have kind of a alternated between kind of the, the bigger names. I kind of started on a Glock, moved to the XD, actually wound up having quite a few problems on that platform. And I switched to the M&P and I'm just kind of stuck there. So I've been a, kind of an M&P shooter for several years now. Yeah, you know, I always say this, I, you know, I could take up any Glock and shoot expert in any kind of qualification course with it just because a Glock's a Glock's a Glock's a Glock, you know, whether it's the 19 yeah. or the 17 or the 22, uh, you know, and then currently I carry a, a SIG, but the, the M&Ps, if I just were able to put the rounds down range with it, it feels the best, you know, because I'm six foot five, I have what I call huge gorilla hands, and yeah. uh, that's that's just the best that fits in my hand. Uh, so you're yeah, I'm, I'm six, so we're we're about the same height. Oh wow, yeah, no kidding. I feel like a midget here because I'm only yeah. six one. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Silencer Shop and what it does, because you know a lot of people aren't familiar with the suppressors. A lot of people, and and honestly, even at the gun range, you still have people that are kind of ignorant with suppressors. So tell us about Silence Shop and what it, you know, what it does for the gun community, what it sells, uh, especially the kiosk, because to me, I think when the kiosk really came out, that's when things really kind of renovated the NFA market because it just made it that much more easier to fill out that paperwork because that was kind of a, um, I don't even know if it would say it's a hindrance, but it's an intimidation factor when somebody, when they're looking to fill out NFA paperwork. Right. You know, with, with Silencer Shop, we really kind of have two focuses. You know, the first one is, you know, we sell silencers. We're a distributor. You can go on our website, ship it to your local dealer. There are no transfer fees because that dealer is actually making the sale. So, you know, people go online and they're comparing prices and they don't realize that even if, even if things are priced the same, the silencer shop price is usually a hundred dollars lower than you think, or 150 because of that transfer fee. But so we're a distributor. You know, we've got a dealer network of almost 4,000 dealers where those you can walk into any one of our powered by stores, buy a silencer. We're enabling that process on the back end for them. Um, the second part of our business is our paperwork business. And that's kind of comes to the kiosk where the whole objective there is simplifying the buying process. And we want it to be, I, we're just constantly looking for ways to, to innovate and make that process absolutely as brain dead simple for the customer as possible. And you're right, the kiosk was really you know, a, a huge step forward in that regard. Absolutely. I mean, every person I know that runs a, uh, a gun store that sells suppressors, uh, you know, I know there's the initial investment of the kiosk itself, but it ups their NFA sales tremendously. And they, yeah. you know, make that return so much quicker in regards to profit. And like I said, it really has reno renovated, you know, the NFA market just because it's made things that much more easier for the consumer. Now, have you noticed, especially on your shop, uh, uptick in NFA items? Well, all you sell is NFA items, but uh, yeah. for the most part. So uh, is it, have you noticed the uptick in NFA item sales once you, you know, started rolling out those kiosks and how long have those been around? 
You know, when we launched that kiosk, I don't, I don't know if you remember in 2016 when Obama signed that rule change for how paperwork is processed. We, we rolled out the kiosk right about the same time as that happened. It, it, was, kind of, it was actually our response to that rule change, which happened in mid-2016. Um, but yeah, it's what we, what we find is the dealers who we've got, like I said, almost 4,000 dealers. Of those, we've got just over 1,000 that have kiosks. And pretty much without fail, the dealers that make the investment, get the kiosk in their store, it's not just two or three times the sales that they had before. It's like 10x, right? They're seeing massive increases in NFA sales. And it's good for the dealer. And it's, I feel like, good for the industry. We're trying to make it so, as I mentioned before, you, know, you talked about the HPA. Personally, I think the HPA was probably a little premature, just in the sense that most people at the time didn't even know what a suppressor was. And people think of James Bond when they think of a suppressor. You know, it's a, I think as more get out there and as the industry grows, I think we have a real shot of passing something like the HPA, you know, down the road. Absolutely. And you're seeing that with modern sporting rifles, you know, especially with the current administration in, uh, you know, maybe during Obama administrations, obviously during Clinton's administration, they were able to pass some sort of uh, gun control that limited or outright banned, you know, modern sporting rifles, AR-15, AK-47 type rifles, uh, and with that, you know, especially since the uh, crimes bill, you know, expired in 2004, you had the massive sale and the massive market for AR-15 type rifles, and now they are commonplace. I think the last I heard, there was around you know 100 million in circulation in private hands in the country. So you're looking at a third of the country. So now when they're starting to try and you know now they're even not even talking about you know banning, they're just talking about stopping the you know the manufacturing and the sale of modern sporting rifles because you're looking at a I mean, pretty much a near impossible task in reference to trying to confiscate those type rifles from the average consumer. So you start, you know, and that's always, you know, Palmetto State Armory, they've come out and said that that was kind of their mission. That's why they sell AR-15 type rifles so cheap. And so many of them is because you've had these previous Supreme Court cases where they've talked about common usage in regards to firearms. And that's what's protected under the Second Amendment. And hopefully with you know the good work that you guys are doing, not only at Silencer Shop but also the American Suppressor Association, uh, you will have the same thing happen with suppressors. You see a lot more people having them than even ten years ago, and that's that's, right. that's amazing stuff. And hopefully, you know, like you said, once and we talked about this, we, we hadn't published it. We're publishing it today. We had another episode with uh, the guys from the Gun Experiment where you know it's got to win the culture war and that's what us in the gun community have to do is we have to win that culture war and by doing that you have to put it more out in the public you have to let people you know be familiarized with it and suppressors are becoming that thing yeah yep it's it's common use it's exactly like you said if, if you can get enough of these in enough people's hands and people realize they are really not much more than a safety device right it's People who aren't familiar with them, it's hard for them to wrap their minds around that, right? Absolutely. And at Silencer Shop, you know, you have, you know, all the types of different brands. What are, what are, I guess you would say, some of the more popular brands that you sell at Silencer Shop? You know, the, really the top brands right now in the market are going to be Dead Air, Silencer Co., Q, Rugged, YHM. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to make nobody mad. Griffin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't want to make anybody mad here. <laughs> And what is, I guess, some of the popular, uh, you know, and being in the American Espresso Association and being part of Silencer, uh, Silencer Co., you know, Silencer Shop, you 
talk to you know all those kind of people at I'm sure trade shows and, and stuff like that that maybe they're just now getting into the NFA. Uh, what is some advice that you have for people that are just getting into NFA items, more specifically suppressors? You know, I, I one thing that and I feel like I have lost this battle, so I shouldn't even fight it anymore. <laughs> but there there's kind of this sense of, you know, the do it all suppressor, which I think up to a point is actually good. You know, I think you buy a 7.62 millimeter suppressor, run it on your AR-15, that's great, right? You kind of you overcome the lack of, the loss of efficiency with an increase in volume, right? So you basically wind up in the same place. But I think people can take that too far. And I usually caution people who are just starting out, don't buy, if you, buy, if you try to buy a can that's going to work on every gun you're ever going to own ever, you'll probably not be happy with it on anything. Make sure that it runs well and is made for at least one of your firearms. That, that would be a, a main piece of advice. Otherwise, you're just, it's not going to work for you very well. And now I got another question for you because I, I see this a lot in forums and whatnot. Uh, quick detach or direct thread? You know, I actually think there's a place for both. I think, and I, I tend to go a little bit against the grain on this. I think like when I'm out hunting, I, especially when I'm hunting and I'm moving around a lot, I really like quick attaches and it's not because they're quick to attach. It's because they lock in place, but I don't have to worry about I'm cutting them screwed when I'm moving around. When I'm at the range, just shooting targets at whatever distance or, or more stable shooting, a direct thread works perfectly fine. It's a... It just kind of depends on what your use case is going to be. And the reason I ask is just because I've heard some horror stories with the the quick detach. Uh, you know, certain brands are better than others, but still the brands that are better than others, it's still not perfect. Uh, and I've I've heard from some people that have been in the NFA game for a long time that say just go ahead and and knock out the you know the the you know direct attach. That way it's you make sure it's secure. You don't have to worry about, you know, buying, especially quick detach, you know, flash, you know, uh, hiders for rifles. You know, those things get pricey as hell. You know, you're looking at like $100, $200, and you got to do that for every firearm you have. Yeah. And I will say the mounting systems, since I've been in this industry, the mounting systems are one of the things that have improved just dramatically. You've got the taper mounts now. Things tend to stay centered. Your, your point of impact doesn't shift from, you know, time to time that you're mounting it, they they go on and off easily. It's just some of the downsides from a few years ago. You know, you look at some of those, uh, you know, 18 tooth and 51 tooth mounts that were prevalent in the industry 10, 15 years ago, and the, the silencer would just sit there and wobble on the end of the gun, right? That's clearly not good for accuracy. <laughs> but it's uh, those problems have have really, for the most part, been addressed and resolved. So I have to ask, when did you get into the NFA game? What made you, you know, I, I know you said you uh, got it because your son was born 100% deaf in, in one year. Uh, so, like, what, you know, when you dipped your toe in the NFA game, were you looking at just hunting, you know, suppressors for hunting rifles? Were you looking at it for, you know, modern sporting rifles, for handguns, 22s? Uh, what, what, you know... What was your first soiree into the NFA NFA world? You know, my my main objective, and I don't know if you've ever sat in a blind with a kid. You know, he's like bouncing off walls and won't leave those dumb muffs on. And I'm trying to, like I said, kind of focus on protecting that hearing in his good ear. And it, the suppressor just kind of seemed like a natural fit. But it was a, you know, I yeah that that was that was really it was for hunting with my son is what got me into it. I will say that the buying experience was so bad, I almost didn't get it at all because 
the the person that was doing the transfer for me, I actually bought it from a from a a large gun you know distributor at the time called Major Malfunction. I don't know how long you've been in the industry, but has or been involved, but a uh, Major Malfunction was kind of the big player at the time. Transferred it to a local guy, and he, and then he went out of business during the transfer. I mean that was really kind of a <laughs> I was lucky to get it at all. The second one which I bought for just a 22, you know, shortly after that, I bought from a more established dealer, but he had, he didn't go out of business, but he wouldn't help with the paperwork. I clearly didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I got an error letter, you know, four or five months in, then he wouldn't help me with that. Wouldn't even try to answer the questions. Right. I, and I felt by the time I got to the end of it, I was just pretty thoroughly frustrated. Right. I thought I'm just going to, do transfers for people in the local area. So this same thing doesn't happen to other people. Right. But yeah, it, to go back to the original question, I got into it for hunting with my kids. That, that really was my primary objective. Now with hunting being this big thing for you, have you tried the, uh, uh, suppressed muzzle loader that, uh, silencer co made? You know, I never, I have <laughs> never, I'm not even sure I've ever seen one, but it's a, I mean, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm wanting to try one. I've never shot a muzzleloader before, but that's one that I'm wanting to try just to see how quiet it actually is. I, right. I got a, I got a percussion cap uh, muzzleloader and an actual flintlock muzzleloader. And they're, they're fun to shoot just because the smoke and, you know, just, it, it's, it's really cool. But yeah, I remember when they uh, first came out with that, it was around the same time that, uh, what was it? Franklin Armory came out with that, uh, smooth bore rifle i believe is what it was yeah, yeah. just just kind of say it was just a big f you to the atf it was you know that was i call them the golden days for right now just because that's when you had so much innovation and whether it was stupid or not you know at least they weren't just churning out like another ar-15 but oh you know look this has got a different flash hider and different different uh you know uh foregrip on it and all that kind of stuff but look so. at that trigger guard that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly oh man so tell me, what is your favorite suppressor that you have currently? You know, I, for me personally, I, it, and I, I have to be a little careful because we carry all the brands, but I, I really do like the short, light suppressors. I've, I think I've got that rugged radiant on pretty much every hunting rifle I own. I also, I really like the Q, their dedicated 6.5 can. That is just a fantastically quiet suppressor for the size and weight. Um, Dead Air has some awesome products. The Nomad, and of course, Silencer Go's got lots of great stuff. It's, but yeah, that if I had to choose a favorite, it'd probably be that Rugged Radiant. And let me ask you this: now, in regards to the American Suppressor Association, what is something like us, the the average gun gun owner, you know, in the gun community, uh, can do to help support that organization? Because you know, they're it's basically, and I hate to use this example, but this is probably you know, just a Barney Fife explanation, explanation, as I like to call it. Uh, you know, it's the NRA for suppressors. So what right. what you guys do is is y'all lobby. Uh, you you know talk to state governments. I'm sure if like for example like the the law that just passed in Texas, you know that really it's a good thing because it shows the way Texas thinks. But in regards to not uh, you know t on the state wise not having suppressors considered a NFA item, even though the federal government seems to think differently, uh, you know can you know legislatures reach out to y'all whenever they're looking for legislation uh, in regards to um, you know, anything they want to do with suppressors, whether to make them more common for hunting, whether to make them more common for ownership, uh, you know, is that something that y'all do in, in helping write, you know, gun-friendly legislation? Yeah, and that's, 
you know, Knox, Knox is the president. He's very, very involved in the state to state. He's bouncing around constantly. He's at the federal level too, but I'll tell you the state level is where most of the real success has been. It's a, but yeah. And if people want to re, want to like donate and join the ASA, I tell you that it's a huge help and just, you can either link to it directly from our side at silencershop.com or you can go to the American Suppressor Association website directly and uh, join and donate from there. So you all have memberships that you can you can join and get, a am sure, a card and maybe a sticker that they can put on their, their range box or gun right. safe or whatever. Yeah, got to have yep. the stickers, man. That's right. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I absolutely hated stickers. And now every time I make a purchase, it better come with a sticker. I'm if it doesn't come with a sticker, I feel just, yeah. just you know. You know what's done. sad? I'm actually, I'm actually, my wife and I are just in the process of moving. And I've got my, uh, you know, my gun room where I do my reloading and stuff. And for the last 20 years, I've been putting all these stickers on the walls. And now we're leaving. And I'm just like, well, crap. <laughs> Now you have to get new ones. I have to start over. <laughs> I, f- I feel your pain. I carry everywhere. You know, I live in what I affectionately call L.A., but it's lower Alabama. So it's it's hot as yeah. hell. And uh, I'm always, you know, always keeping hydrated. And I carry around this humongous water bottle. I don't know if you can see it with the, the black ground. But, I mean, it's a humongous water bottle. And, uh, you know, I always put stickers on it. And, you know, I, I kind of, I had a smaller one upgraded, got a larger one, had that for forever, but the handle broke off on it. So I got myself a new one and like some of my favorite stickers were on that water bottle. And now like, I just keep it in the gun room just cause it had some of my, my favorite stickers and I haven't put any new stickers on my water bottle yet. Just cause I'm thinking, gosh, I need to try and find those stickers again. I want to make sure I have room for them. That's right. So with uh, silencer shop, uh, so, you know, you have the, you know, you're just an online retailer, but you also have the kiosk. Uh, you don't, you guys don't have any brick and mortar stores, correct? No, we, we're distributors, so our our brick and mortar stores really are our dealer network. You can go into any one of our dealers all over the country. Pretty much, almost everybody who does any kind of volume in NFA is going to be one of our dealers. And about, you know, and this is something else that I I talk a lot of people about, you know, whenever they're talking about gun control is small businesses, because the firearms industry and the gun community is just chock full of small businesses. So obviously being the CEO of uh, Silencer Shop, how many employees do you have with you there? Uh, We're right. We just crossed 50. I think we're uh, uh, it's it's around 55 between 50 and 55. I don't know the exact number. Sorry. yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, did COVID hit you guys hard any? You know, the thing with COVID, and I, I I, tell you, when the whole thing started, I thought, there's no way this goes anywhere. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's a, it did take off, and we ended up having to send everybody to work from home. And it happened so quick that it was, there, there, was a, there were a lot of logistics involved in COVID. Now, as far as our business, you've got some businesses that were just straight up destroyed by COVID, and it is just horribly sad. But I think within the gun industry, business was actually good during COVID. There was no COVID downturn business-wise. It was just more dealing with the logistics. And y'all are based out of Texas, correct? That's right. So, I mean, y'all weren't as affected as somebody, say, like based out of California or New England, where, you know, I think, shit, some of those places are still in lockdown. Oh, that's just, I can't even believe, I don't know what people are thinking on this now, but it's a, I mean, I, I guess we're not in charge, so we just have to watch and see what happens. And I know y- y'all are based in Austin on your website, and I yeah. know like just people are 
people are flocking there. Sorry if you hear any background noise. I'm getting my central AC unit replaced. And like I said, being in, being in L.A., you got to have that. It's an essential thing. So uh, this is the, the quickest they could get it done. And, and uh, it's about 82 or 83 degrees inside my house. So uh, I want to make sure that gets done. But um, anyway, so you guys are in Austin. You know, that's a place that people are flocking to. Uh, I'm actually from Texas myself. I'm more from the Panhandle around Lubbock and Amarillo. Uh, but I have family in Austin. And I know Austin is becoming kind of like a liberal bastion in Texas. You know, it's it's definitely different from the rest of the state. Does that affect you guys anyway? You know, it does. And I, if I were to start Silencer Shop over again, I would be in a building about a mile north of here where I'd be outside of the city limits. Every time we expand, we run into problems with every, all of their inspection stuff. And it's just over the top crazy. In fact, we just bought a building in Leander, which I don't know how familiar you are with Austin, but it's kind of back in Texas, right? Yeah. As soon as you're out of Austin, you're back in Texas. So, I think it's east. What is it, east of Austin, I believe? Uh, Leander is just kind of northwest. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I actually got some some cousins that are that are living in Austin right now. Uh, so uh, I, I've been there. It's it's a fun town. I love Austin. It's it's a beautiful place. But uh, that yeah. it's been like five or six years ago since I've been in there, and I know it's it's changed drastically even since then. Oh. I mean, the whole state is. Well, and you know, the weird thing is, it's like I think the one thing Austin did that made it feel different was this whole homeless thing, and it's like just living under every bridge and garbage everywhere and just taking a dump and the sidewalks everywhere. I, it's, it's, it's sad to see how fast the city has gone downhill as a result of that. Well, but I see that they're also uh, doing something about it as well. They're, that's they're not, they're letting saying. Them, that, that's <laughs> what they're saying. And I've seen some things, but you know, uh, at least they're not being complacent. Uh, that's right. But, so let me ask you this, um, you know, what are, you know, like I said, we talked about suppressors are still kind of, you know, necessarily outside the normal realm of, of people in the gun community. You know, if you've got a if you've got a few guns, like, you know, five or six, uh, you're probably not into suppressors or, you, you know, you're maybe starting to get into them. What are some of the most common myths, you know, because you have a contact us page on your on your site? You know, what is some of the common questions uh, and myths that people have in regards to suppressors? You know, the main, as far as myths, I think that the fact that people think they're silent. People whose only exposure to a silencer has been TV and James Bond, they think they're silent and they're just not, right? I think, a, you know, you run a silencer, a top of the line model on an AR-15, and it comes out to be about the same decibel level, level as a jackhammer on concrete. So they're, they're a safety device. They get the sound down to a level where it's safer to shoot them. In some cases, you actually still need hearing protection, but it's uh, silencers are awesome, but they're not silent. Another thing is I, I hear all the time people kind of make the assumption, and I think this comes from video games, people make the assumption that a silencer somehow is going to slow down the velocity of the, of the round, when in reality, it's the exact opposite. And I don't know what, because you know, you're essentially extending the barrel length, but with no friction, right? So it's a... Uh, you will get a measurable increase in velocity. You'll usually get better accuracy out of a suppressor. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, those are the two big things that people tend to assume that are wrong. When people contact us, the other thing they tend to ask is usually, how do you register? And it's, that's a question about, you know, do I use a trust? Do I use a corporation? Do I register as an individual? That, that's, a, that's a big question mark for a lot of people, just wanting to know how to go about the registration. And so well, I got to say... The- Sorry. Go ahead. No, go so ahead, man. Going off of that, um, 
Like, obviously, there's a culture war with firearms, and more specifically, suppressors, because everyone thinks that they're absolutely silent. What are some talking points that people can use with uh, fellow gun owners to get them on the side of something like the Hearing Protection Act, or just trying to get them deregulated entirely? Yeah, it's as far as, you know, having something like the Hearing Protection Act, I think just having people realize that these are not assassins tools, they are absolutely... I mean, they're safety devices. That is what they are. For the guys out hunting, you spend all day in the woods. Maybe you're with your kids. You take one shot more than likely. It's rarely more than two or three. And as a result, and because it's so, you're shooting so little, you think you can go without hearing protection. But then, I don't know if you guys have ever, one of my favorite things to do is to go hang out at a local rifle club. Some of the old guys sitting there on the range, and they're, they're there all the time, and they're super fun to be around. But man, the hearing loss is just extreme and they don't, they've just been around guns their whole life. They weren't always super careful with the hearing protection. And man, I tell you, a silencer would have made their, their life better as they got older, right? It's, it's a truly, it is a safety device. Let me ask you, I've, you know, I've personally am, last year I decided I was going to jump into the NFA market uh, and then things kind of just went crazy and then. Uh, you know, I decided to go ahead and the money I would usually have spent on firearms, I, I decided to spend like home upgrades and stuff like that. But I, I, like starting last year, I really started studying the NFA market and looking like, you know, looking at what I was going to get. Um, and I looked into and I've been to some range days and, and industry days and stuff like that. And I'm starting to see kind of like a rise of th- uh, 3D printed suppressors. Uh, yeah. Do you do you see a kind of a future with that, or what? What do you see in regards to the future of suppressors? Oh, I man, I tell you, I think 3D is the future of suppressors, and it's a. You look at companies like CGS, and they're they're kind of an up and coming brand, but they're doing things with 3D printing that are not even possible with standard manufacturing techniques. Their cans are quieter, they hold up awesome. There's no the possibility of manufacturing defects from unit to unit just drops massively. I, I really think the benefits are really there. And then as you know, inflation is kind of taking off within the commodities, like you look at the price of steel going up, then all of a sudden you've got a ma- an additive manufacturing process where there's not a whole lot of waste versus a subtractive manufacturing process where they're throwing away half the material, right? And it starts to, I think that the economics of it are going to start to make sense too. So have you yeah, tried- clearly I'm a fan. Yeah, I was about to say, have you tried any out yet? Uh, you know, what- oh, yeah. what- the, the CGS ones are, are really the ones out right now that I think are showcasing what a 3D printer can be, a 3D printed suppressor can be. But I think all the other manufacturers will come on board with that, honestly, within the next few years. Yeah, I haven't uh, tried any CGS, but I've uh, I've tried out Thermal Dynamic Solutions, is, I believe is uh, the, the company that I have. They have the Bantam uh, in 5.56. And, uh, it, you know, it was pretty cool. He, he you know, unloaded a, a few magazines and he was able to just, you know, bear grip that suppressor and, and unscrew it off just because of the heat dispersion uh, with the 3D printed materials. It was, you know, a lot cooler. And it was still it was still warm, but it wasn't melting the, the fingerprints off, you know, onto the can itself whenever you right. got done shooting uh, and, and such like that. So. You know, you kind of talked about the the all-in-one suppressors, and you were you were talking about um, you know seven six two and and you know 
kind of not in jack of all trades, master none kind of deal. Uh, right. You know, and again, looking in the suppressors, uh, and just again, if somebody's listening to this and they're looking into, you know, getting into the NFA market, uh, tell me about the difference between like a wet can and a dry can, and the and the benefits of both, because I know that's something that you know I've heard of, didn't really think nothing of it, uh, and then, but also I saw some benefits, you know, to one versus the other. Yeah, if, if you've got you know, I, I wouldn't recommend shooting any rifle cans wet because you can wind up with pressure problems. So you can blow them up, which isn't never fun. The, uh, but on pistol cans and, and rimfire cans, you put a little bit of oil or grease or you really can put pretty much hand sanitizer. <laughs> you put pretty much anything you want in there, right? And it'll uh, they shoot just dramatically quieter. But I tell you, on the flip side, they are so messy. It's uh, it's the kind of thing where you want to do it once to impress your friends and see how quiet it could be, and you'll probably never do it again because it's it is just crazy messy. And do not wear a white shirt or even light. <laughs> and, and that kind of you know that was a, a great kind of lead into the next question because that's something else is you know some suppressors you know they recommend that you ship off to the manufacturer to clean. And then some suppressors you could break down yourself and clean, whether that's you know traditional brush and oil, or if you got a sonic cleaner, uh, you know how hard would it be for the average person to clean? Because you know like high points, you know they recommend that you you send them off to the manufacturer to be cleaned, uh, just because they're they're so you know complicated and and not user friendly in my opinion, uh, in regards to the cleanliness of it. Uh, what is the you know, the easier ones to clean versus not easier ones to clean. What should somebody look at when they're looking at getting a suppressor? You know, it's a, the cleaning debate is another one where, you know, I've, we've had this conversation. It's the same conversation I've had with, you know, since I've been in the industry. But on a, uh, on a rimfire suppressor, you're shooting 22 unjacketed ammo. And what you wind up getting in that can is a combination of carbon and lead. And that lead residue is actually coming off the bullet itself, right? The unjacketed bullet. And you have to take apart that suppressor to clean it because you have to get that lead residue out. And for me, well, let me, let me just go to kind of the next phase. So like, let's say you're shooting a rifle, like let's say you're shooting your 308, you're shooting jacketed ammo, the pressures are significantly higher. And what you wind up getting in those cans, you don't really get much, if any lead, what you get is a lot of carbon. The carbon tends to take care of itself. It's uh, just shooting through it will clean it, right? And actually people do more damage trying to clean those rifle cans than they ever do shooting through them. It, and as a result, I, I would actually never buy a rifle can that came apart for cleaning. I, I strictly go with the sealed ones. They tend to be better, lighter. There's, not, there's not, no downside to them. But on the rimfire cans where you do need to take them apart to get that lead residue out, you can go, you can throw them in a sonic cleaner. You can hit them with a brush. Personally, I just take them apart and just that lead will fall off if you just like bang it on the table. <laughs> so I'll bang it on the table. All that crud will fall out of it and I'll just put it back together and shoot it again. Because as a general rule, suppressors are quieter if you let them have a little bit of carbon buildup. But you can't let that lead buildup accumulate. Otherwise, they're not quiet at all because they'll fill up. Hopefully that wasn't complicated in like, like circular. Now, as a middle ground, the uh, a pistol suppressor is in a weird zone where most of them you could probably argue don't need to be cleaned, but the pressures are low enough that you might as well get one that comes apart. It's uh, if you're shooting unjacketed ammo through whatever, then you absolutely do want to clean it. But it's more of a personal preference thing. Just don't go crazy on those baffles. That's my advice because you can damage them. 
Well, speaking of baffles, are you a wipes guy or are you a baffles guy? <laughs> baffles. They're quieter. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a whole lot of downside. But And now that you mentioned that, because, you know, the, the NFA item that I was looking at getting was a 22 can suppressor that I was going to use for I got a uh, Ruger Precision 22 trainer. And then I also got a Glock 44 and a uh, Smith and Wesson MP 22 that, you know, my kids love to shoot all 22s, uh, you know, so what's something and I, I've always kind of looked at it. A 22 is a good kind of entry can i guess you could say you're not looking at brink at the bank because they're normally a bit cheaper than other cans uh what's a what's a good 22 can that you'd recommend for somebody like myself you know really it's uh, the most popular 22 suppressor we sell is the dead air mask easy to clean take apart it's quiet it's just a good overall suppressor but at the end of the day you you can pick almost any of them the uh 22 suppressors really are all pretty impressive there's a, it's hard to actually find a bad one anymore. It used to be possible, <laughs> but anymore, everything that's out there is a, is pretty decent. And let me ask you this, in regards to the suppressor world, what is something that you would like to see, whether it be a, you know, technology or equipment or something that's currently kind of out there that you think that's, you know, kind of useless and doesn't need to be out there, but a lot of people think it's good, you know, what's something that you would like to see uh, done in the suppressor industry? Oh, sheesh. I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of anything off the top of my head. I will say I, I am a fan of the modular stuff, but not because I like modular cans necessarily. I, what I like about them is they give people the option of buying a longer can so you can look at the decibel numbers and you know you're going to be able to go to the range and impress your friends. But the reality is for most people, shorter and lighter are better. Right. So the modular can lets you take off all those modular pieces and shoot it in the shortest configuration. And whether it's hunting or home defense or competition or pretty much anything, shorter and lighter is the way to go. But it feels like a risk when you're doing it. So modular makes that possible without the risk. Anyway, what did you think about that uh, suppressor that came out uh, where they attach it onto the accessory rail and it doesn't actually screw on or attach to the barrel at all? Man, I have not seen that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I That seems very risky. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I was thinking, too, when I saw it. It was a Facebook video from when I was scrolling in the groups. They actually just attach it to the accessory rail, and it actually, nice. according to the video, it suppresses it. But that could be just edited. <laughs> it, it probably does. What you find in any kind of weird attachment system, what they do to make that possible is they'll make the bore size larger. But by making the bore size larger, they make it less quiet so you're there's a giant trade-off on stuff like that are they trying to get around the nfa altogether and just say it's not a not a silencer i think they're just trying to get like uh for home defense purposes making a quick detach even quicker so that way a person could just take their carry gun off throw it on the nightstand and attach it through the accessory rail i think that's what they're going yeah i have not seen that at all and i'm surprised Let me ask you this. Now, in regards to blowback, you know, this is something that you're always hearing people talk about in reviews when they're talking about suppressors, especially with modern sporting rifles. Uh, what is what does someone need to look at in regards if, you know, if they're looking for a suppressor for their AR-15, uh, what do they need to look at in regards to blowback? You know, a lot of the things that impact blowback the most are the things you can't see. Is that, you know, a larger blast chamber helps reduce blowback. Um a larger bore diameter, even though it makes the can less efficient, will help reduce blowback. 
So, you know, a lot of the flow through designs will significantly reduce blowback. Although on the flip side, the flow side flow through designs are also not as quiet. So there is a trade off there. It's a, yeah, that's when, when you're reducing blowback for me personally, since I do like, I like small and light, as I probably said 15 times already, but the, uh, what I tend to do, especially on an AR-15, I don't know if you, have you guys ever used those gas buster style charging handles that have the gas seal on them? Those things are. I don't think uh, so. I've seen them. I haven't used them personally. Between between that and the captured buffers, which uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company that makes those. Is it J JL? Some anyway, it'll come to me as soon as we're done. But the uh, captured buffers and the um, and those and those sealed charging handles, those pretty much deal with all the negative effects of blowback, in my experience. But you can reduce it by running a, a higher diameter can or a can that specifically has a larger blast chamber. Well, uh, Dave, I tell you what, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I, you know, you got anything, Mike, that you want to ask that you've been kind of pinned up? You've been quiet this this uh, interview for the most part. <laughs> no, you know what? I mean, suppressors are one of those things in the industry that I haven't really dived into a whole lot so this entire time i've just been absorbing all the knowledge that i didn't have before while trying to interject something of value so yeah no i have nothing that i can contribute at this point <laughs> well, like i said i've really been getting into suppressors this past year because i was planning on getting one last year uh and then just decided to kind of update my house so that's where my, my gun money went uh, so decided to do that and it's something I'm, I'm going to be taking the leap on probably within six or eight months. I actually, actually got my form already filled out. I just, you know, got to, uh, got to ship it off. I already got one picked out at my local, uh, gun shop, uh, that I go to. And, and it's something I'm just kind of waiting to pull the trigger on. Uh, you just now need to stop being responsible and just do it. Oh, That's Jesus, right, man. <laughs> I'm telling you this, this central AC unit really, really killed me when I had to, to chill out the money for that. But, uh, anyway, uh, Dave, is, is there anything, you know, do you have like a, a personal, you know, Instagram or Facebook or anything that you, you kind of, you know, or a personality page that you put out that you do stuff on for the, either the ASA or for silencer shop? You know, we have, if you, if you go to silencershop.com, we have a blog where we try to publish a, as much information as we can. We're on Facebook, just a silencer shop. We're on Instagram, um, on Reddit. We're pretty much everywhere where you would want social media. Just Visit silencershop.com, and we, we linked all of it. There's a you ton plan, of information there. Plan on being at SHOT Show uh, in January? Oh, yeah. We'll be there. It's uh, definitely. I'm, I'm planning, you know, I was supposed to go this uh, January, but, of course, COVID shut that down, and and, uh, and uh, this is going to be my first one coming up. So I'm planning on being there in, in 2022. Hope to see you there. And yeah, I tell you what. Have- Absolutely. And I tell you, Dave, if you're ever looking uh, to look for advertisement, uh, you know, podcast is, is the new thing uh, if you're looking. So we'd be happy to talk to you. I know, especially Mike. Uh, Mike is, is kind of like the advertisement gr- guru there. Yeah, I try right. to anyway. <laughs> well, Dave, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Mike, I appreciate you uh, co-hosting as well. And Dave, I, we would love to have you back anytime, especially if you got something new and exciting coming out or if you know uh, of anything coming out with any brands. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. I appreciate right, it, Mike. Have a good one. Y'all have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That was going to be the interview with Dan from Silence Shop. Now, we are, if you notice that things maybe sound different, things cut in and out, you know, obviously Dan is a very important, uh, you know, 
important busy guy runs silencer shop uh one of the biggest you know uh, retailers for suppressors in the country so uh you know we actually interviewed him on his time uh which we're more than happy to do it was a great interview mike i had a lot of fun you had a lot of fun yeah, uh he was a really cool down-to-earth guy so we did that interview uh, earlier and now we're covering today's news story like a normal podcast uh, because we have some pretty in, pretty important and pretty big things to talk about. Uh, the first thing, though, let's go ahead. We're always going to promote the shooting sports here, and this article comes to us from Amaland, uh, and it's loophole protein member Doug Coing wins 19th Bianchi t- Cup title. That's impressive, 19th cup. Uh, so he first won his first cup in 1990. Uh, and he has won seven of the last ten championships. That's impressive. At this so, point, it's surprising when he doesn't. Really, it really is. I mean, he he's really got it down to <laughs> a science. Uh, I wonder and, if he's using that new the new red dot that loophole came up oh, with. Jesus, <laughs> I highly doubt it. He's probably using this window he could find. But yeah, and, but yeah. actually, and Mike, you'll be you'll be uh, proud of me. I emailed these links to you before the show, so you should get them in a timely yes. manner. Yes, I am very <laughs> proud of you. You actually, <laughs> you did the opposite of pulling a boomer move. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, the next pro one, this com- yeah, pro <laughs> boomer move. Exactly. Uh, next article from the Farms blog: New dates, new goddamn, I can't speak today. Uh, new dates set for 2021 NRA annual meeting and exhibits announced. Now, this is going to be in Houston. This is interesting because it's actually the 150th anniversary of the NRA. Uh, now this was a good one with, you know, this is coming closer. We'll probably get our friend Ron back on, uh, to see what the plan is for save the second, because I'm telling you, you know, and this is an interesting article. I don't know if you probably should have put this up, Mike, but did you see where, um, the NRA has finally balanced the books basically after cutting so many costs? Really? Yeah. That was an article that was uh, posted by Ron and the, the folks that save the second recently where the NRA is. Well, and this is actually, you know, it's coming from the NRA, so it might actually be bullshit. But, you know, that, that's that's well, yeah, what they're. I mean, with Ron Lapierre still, or not Ron Wayne Lapierre still in charge. <laughs> Shit, I mean, you better you better apologize. You better fucking send Ron a text right now. Saying, I'm sorry. Ron, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. So, uh, this is very interesting to see what's going to happen. Uh, I'm planning on going to Shot Show. This is in Houston. I got some family there. I might be able to shack, you know, like sleep on a couch or some shit. Uh, and see Were if you maybe about I... to say shack up. I was, you know, I thought I, you know, I was thinking that, <laughs> but you know, I'm from Alabama, and this is where I currently. Well, I don't. I'm not from Alabama. I'm from Texas, but I live in Alabama. So it's long just enough, the norm I for you right some, now. I can pick up some tendencies, so <laughs> I'd want to make sure I change the wording there. So yeah, if you well, are a part of that, family. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering about that, uh, that is when it's going to be. It's going to be September 3rd through the 5th at the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston, Texas. So. It's definitely interesting, and this is the the main reason why we have Cole on. Cole, uh, you are an expert in the legal field. You are actually Cole Esquire, uh, I should say. <laughs> so I'm an attorney. Yeah, I'm not an appellate. It's people who give you probably a little better information about uh, the circuit court actions and stuff like that. But I am an attorney, so I, I do have an opinion. <laughs> Yeah. And you, well, you know, the, the process is a bit more uh, than Mike and myself. You know, I know I keep up with a lot of shit going on in Supreme Court just because of my job. I want to make sure I stay up on uh, what's going on. But, you know, you get you have a lot more working knowledge, I should say, uh, in regards. He also to understands legalese. So there, legalese, he's got that going for him. And all that fucking yeah, I mean, at, use. At, at, at least I speak. I may get it wrong. So. <laughs> but 
and this broke on the fourth. And actually, you broke this in our group chat. I didn't hear anything about it until uh, you posted in the group chat, and then like soon after, because I knew the FPC was going to be sending out a fucking email about it. Uh, soon after you broke it into our group chat, uh, I got the email from uh, FPC. And that the assault weapons ban from California was deemed unconstitutional by the Ninth Circuit Court. Now, this is actually, uh, you know, from Judge Benitez and all hell Judge Benitez. This man has hey, done Benitez. this. This man has done more for the Second Amendment than any other individual that I can yep. think of, probably in the last hundred years. I should say. I mean, r- truly and honestly. So. I mean, since. Yeah, since the NFA passed, anybody has done anything touching what he has done. Absolutely. He uh, shot down the magazine ban and uh, got his Freedom Week in California. Uh, He has shut this down. So, I mean, he is just sniping all this fucking gun control coming in California. And I think it's it's going to have some reverberating effects that we'll talk about later in, in the uh, the show. Uh, but there's already been a 30-day stay issued on this. Isn't that correct, Cole? Um, so he actually included it in his order, which I didn't finish reading the order before I got excited and posted everywhere on Facebook, you know, that it was overturned. I was really hoping for a freak where mags and rifles get shipped, um, you know, at least before the stay was issued. But he went ahead and stay in there, and I think he did that to stop the general from requesting an emergency injunction. And I think that will actually speed up the appellate process moving forward. So he knows what he's doing. Um, he put the stay in there for a reason. This is one of those things we got to play the long game on, and um, it's going to go probably on bank appeal, which is where all the judges and retired judges of the Ninth Circuit um, will make a ruling on it. They will probably, let's be fully honest, they'll probably overturn his ruling. Um, they'll probably pull some sorry decisis type thing out of their butt, um, and they'll probably overturn his ruling. But it his language is so strong that at this point, um, I don't think anyone has teed up their language in their lower court case to such a degree and made things so clear that the Supreme Court of the United States will probably have to make Now, whether that's actually in favor of us or not, we have to predict, but it needs to get done um, because once the Supreme Court rules, that will really give us the tools we need to work with moving forward. Um, hopefully, of course, they rule in favor and assault weapons bans are knocked down. But you got to remember, the 94 never knocked down the United States Supreme Court. Um, so this is one of those things that it's risky, um, but to get done, um, it'll it'll guide us move forward and allow us to know pretty much what. Once we know that, figure out what. Well, and I don't think that it was the 94 assault weapons or crime bill, I should say, uh, ever even actually taken to the Supreme Court. I don't think it actually ever made it to that point. No, it never made it to that point, and I don't remember, man, to be fully honest, whether they just refused to hear the cases or if no appeals were ever actually um, – I'm sure someone had to have been prosecuted under it and therefore, you know, appealed it, but – but, yeah, I know that there was never a Yeah, and that's kind of before my time. I was fucking, like, four or five, I think, when that was passed. Yeah, I mean... I, I was, was just born. <laughs> I was 11 when it passed. You know, I remember a lot of guys that he had man-era ARs, you know, with yeah. no-muzzle device, all that stuff. And they're to us today, they're archaic and weird. But people were just glad to have a semi-automatic rifle back then. Um, so we should be really thankful for what we do have now. Yeah, I remember right as the assault weapons ban, uh, you know, expired. That's about when I was old enough to start buying guns. And, you know, you saw all the magazines that said, you know, Leo Mill only. Uh, still a ton floating around. 
You guys so, are really dating yourselves right now. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I, I'm just feeling better <laughs> that Cole is older than me because when I brought that up, I was thinking, shit, I don't know if Cole's older than me, how much older he is than me. So, but oh, yeah. man. I mean, I, I have, you know, because I'm in Colorado, Colorado, um, I have hundreds of those old mags that say law enforcement mill only. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I had an HK yeah. that had uh, LE mill only stamped on them. I think that's the closest I've ever gotten to something. The actual era. firearm had that stamped on. No, the the magazines did, and then I think okay. I think there's something stamped inside of the receiver on it. Actually, it's been right. like six, seven years since I had it, but there's there's all kinds of weird stuff going on with it compared to the one that I got later on. That was from I think that one was made prior to 2005 and then the newer one that i got was made in like 2017 or something like that okay what model was that curiosity? uh usp compact it was usp yeah, yeah both it's funny to think about a compact oh right my gosh. and it only like <laughs> standard capacity on that's like 13 rounds it's like oh <laughs> civilians can't be trusted with 13 rounds in the mat <laughs> oh my god yeah, the whole thing is so so to those of us who know how guns work like yeah yeah but to people who just hear the the horror stories from media without actually how things work it's, it's a big deal so um you know and that's what i keep wanting to talk about is the culture war stuff and i hope that we can make some headway there and obviously the supreme court ruling um gives us media coverage um as the 2a community that we might not have gotten otherwise so hopefully guys like y'all putting out podcasts can stay some positive and get some people to pay attention um that might not have otherwise, but the culture war is really where we got to be headed because even if, let's say, the Supreme Court fully integrates it to the state, declares that there can be no no restrictions at all on arms for private sale, gets rid of everything from ITAR to the NFA, right? If that miraculously happened, and I don't believe it's going to happen, but if it happened, a generation from nine needs completely overturn that. So we really need to work on the voter base. Of course, we also have to admit that our two major parties have a tendency to run on very strong either gun control or anti-gun control stances and then just kind of let things happen. So we need to focus on the culture war to get voters interested in gun rights, uh, voters in both parties, and two, to get the parties to say their word, um, which may mean anything from forcing people to vote third party, recalling some politicians. So education is the most important thing, even with these rulings. If we don't get people to see things our way moving forward, we're going to lose the long game. Well, and you mentioned it earlier. You know, it is a cultural war, and that's something that we've talked about numerous times on the show. Uh, we actually got an article a little bit about that as well, trying to take back, the, you know, take back the the words commonly used by gun control activists, uh, and then also. Uh, it is a humongous thing that we need to change the narrative because, you know, we were hoping that with last year in the, you know, the enormous amounts of firearms that were purchased by first time gun owners, that it was going to swing the election. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a Trump fan. I, you know, I posted just today, like, you know, today we're recording this on June 6th for anybody wondering. It is the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and I posted something about, you know, Eisenhower had a fucking speech prepared for in case the D-Day invasion failed. You know, he was a leader that was ready to take the responsibility solely on himself. And I said, you know, that's I wish we had leaders like that again nowadays. And honestly, I didn't think Trump was that kind of leader. I don't think Biden's that leader. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like them both. You know, of the, the, you know, was the old South Park, you know, do you want a douche or a shit sandwich? I chose the shit sandwich with extra cheese because the fucking hair, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going for. Anyway, so, Cheeto cheese. exactly. So, you know, that's kind of what I was, you know, 
everybody was expecting. That obviously didn't happen. But I'm starting. It's going to take a minute where I think where these new gun owners are going to uh, maybe move to another state like California, New York, whatever it may be, and they can't take that new firearm that they just got with them, or they get in some sort of trouble because of the fact that, uh, you know, they have standard capacity magazines, whatever, and they'll be like, well, you know, hey, I'm not the one that gun control is supposed to affect. It's supposed to affect criminals. Well, no, gun controls affects all law-abiding citizens, and that's what we need to try and win that. And this is something that I thought you said earlier, Cole, that was really interesting, is that Judge Benitez, his opinion was very strongly worded. Uh, And I know having dealt with attorneys and judges and all that kind of stuff before myself, is that judges will often say and word things to give the side that they are in favor for a kind of like a a blueprint on what they need to do next. So do you think that Judge Benitez worded his strongly opinion uh to try and assist you know the fpc uh in regards you know to the next step into the appellate because like you said we still haven't even seen the full uh resolution of the magazine restrictions you know that's still being tied up in ninth circuit uh you know what's going on with the magazine restriction and is that what judge benitez is trying to do so with the magras, you know, they're going to drag that case out as long as possible before they rule um, because they have the emergency injunction in place. So the, the state's attorneys have, you know, no incentive to push it to be done more quickly, right? And most of the justices or judges of the Ninth Circuit are not interested in seeing that be overturned. So they're going to take their kind of stuff, bottom line, and they can do that. Um, the difference in his ruling, most of the case law that's out there is is that strong language. Um, it goes back to being willing to take responsibility for what you say, right? And a lot of courts will write even tons of verbiage um, to sort of explain themselves, but in the end, they conflate the issue even more. Uh, he was trying really hard to tee it up. So I think he used such strong language, probably knowing that in the en banc it'll happen, it will be overturned. Um, but it's such strong language that they probably won't take their time overturning it. They may get to it quick. So um, in that case, it tees it up for the Supreme Court that much faster. Uh, I think, you know, the justices and judges are obviously in a better position to judge the court schedule than some random attorney out in Colorado, right? But I think whenever things are forced to a head like this, such clear language, I think it's more likely to get a ruling more quickly. I really do. Um, I really like how he dangled that carrot, though, in front of all the other justices, basically, you know, uh, under higher heightened scrutiny, this law is not going to hold up. To being illegal. Right. Right. And, you know, and the levels for the Second Amendment and Second Amendment laws, it's always been a second since the early 1900s. Really, if you go back to the out west, the Second Amendment has been a second class right. Strict scrutiny has just not been applied. It just hasn't. So if the court actually starts using their own and applies it to the Second Amendment properly, the way they would free speech or, well, free speech is often limited to, but, you know, the way they're supposed to your Fourth Amendment rights. Um, then it, it should result in a clearer ruling from the Supreme Court. Because when it comes to 2A cases, the Supreme Court will say, we're only ruling on this specific law. We have not considered these other things. And they'll make a list of other things they, quote, haven't considered, which clearly shows that they've thought about it and are deciding not to have an opinion. Um, but with a 5-4 split, and there's always an offense, a lot of times a wishy-washy which is what you're going to get. And you're correct. I mean, I think that is something that is so egregious that you said that the second amendment is a second class right because i think was it it's either uh, it's like the bill of rights you're supposed to have strict scrutiny where if there's 
if it's even possibly seen that this could be, you know, uh, obscuring those constitutional rights, then it's unconstitutional. But Second Amendment, they doesn't have strict scrutiny. Well, you know, the 14th Amendment is what gave us integration of all the rights to the states, right? And there's just never been the Second Amendment. There's case law that says the Second Amendment integrated to the states. All that really means is that the states have to think about the same. There has never been, you know, this is the standard. This is what the Second Amendment means for the individual. Yep. Um, all that stuff has never been clarified. By so until it is, the states are going to keep playing these games. And, you know, this is going to probably rub some of our followers away, right? But I'm going to go ahead and say it. A great example of what gun control advocates do is just like what's going on in Texas, these abortion laws, right? So clearly will not stand to any kind of actual, but they keep passing them and forcing them to go back to court. So I mean, even Roe versus is relatively clear, it's kind of wishy-washy. So forcing the court to rule on these abortion laws, and they use them to sort of stall, you know, abortion rights as it goes forward. And whether you think that's the right thing to do or not, gun control advocates the same thing. So this law is ruled. Let's change a few details, very small details. Let's change our registration. That's it. And then we'll send it back up. We'll pass the law. We'll prosecute and ruin a bunch of people's lives, and we'll see if it gets overturned again. You know, so they do the same thing. Um, what do you guys think about constitutional carry finally being on the table for the governor in Texas? I think it's great. I, you know, personally, I think – well, I don't, I'm not saying personally. Uh, permits are a money-making scheme for the government. I flat-out know that. You're in Alabama. Experience. Was it Alabama or been fighting about that real bad? Alabama. Alabama. So you're right in the middle, and you know the, the sheriff's associates in Alabama have just been embarrassing. Oh, I, I've said it on, on, a, on a previous episode. So I was, uh, you know, I, I've been promoted, and I was in a meeting with a bunch of other administrators, you know, sheriffs, police chiefs, stuff like that. And, um, you know, th- this was brought up, and I've already had this talk with my administrator, and I told him, you know, I was like flat out, I was like, it, it's a right. You know, I think, you know, if you want to have a, a pistol permit, that is awesome. I think, it, you know, pistol permits are, you know, great ways. If you are a sheriff and you use the pistol permit money correctly, uh, it is a great way for low income areas to have that extra money to purchase things like vehicles, vests, stuff like that. Um, but most sheriffs pocket that fucking money. It, you know, there's no law that says sheriffs have to spend that money on anything for the sheriff's office. They can right. literally pocket that money. And that has been an issue uh, in my state for years. It, it's come to light recently in the in last, I'd say, decade, uh, where they were able to pocket uh, money for food for the prisoners that the state gives them. You know, whatever surplus they have left, they can just keep themselves. Uh, that law has changed, fortunately. But now, you know, you still have the same thing going on with uh, pistol permits. And that is just a fucking travesty, in my opinion. It should well, so- be used... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, I think it should be used for, uh, if at all, if there's going to be pistol permits, it should be used for the county government where that's, you know, that's who issues them uh, in Alabama is the county government. uh, The sheriff's office issues them. And that money should be used for, you know, anything. It it should be, you know, either keep it in the sheriff's office or put it in the county budget because, you know, not only is the sheriff's office hurting for money and that's why they can use that money for, for good things. But I'm sure the county is, is also hurting for money as well because we have very rural counties in the in the right. state, you know. Well, and see, I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion that there's an equal protection argument to say that you shouldn't have permits at all because you know refer to the low income areas for permits, man. I mean, 
Oh, I mean, agreed. That's the bottom line. Um, that's the real issue um, to me is people just can't afford them. Um, I, I believe it's Mississippi that has a two-tiered sort of where most places can carry without a permit, and they actually worked in the requirement or uh, constitutional carry law, which I think is interesting. Um, but as long as you have your gun carry at most places, if you get your permit, you can carry to schools and churches and other places that are you know generally not allowed. Um, so I think if there's going to be a permit scheme, and I don't think there'll be one at all, but if there is, you should be able to walk around town with your gun in your holster under your shirt without a permit, um, period, because you should be able to defend yourself, and I think that that's an absolute right. Um, but I do understand, like, you need the revenue and maybe the compromise to two-tiered scheme. Um, so, Well, see, in Alabama, open carry, you can open carry without any permit whatsoever. But right. Alabama considers, if you even open carry on your hip and you step inside your vehicle, it is considered concealed, even if it is plainly visible on your passenger seat. That is the way the law works in Alabama. So That's if you want wild. to, if you do but not have a permit, well, let me finish. If you okay. do not have a permit, you want to transport your firearm, you either have to put it in the trunk or lock it in the glove box or the console. It has right. to be locked. So, But doesn't Alabama have castle doctrine that includes the vehicle? It does. It's all fucked that, up, man. I never said it. I never uh, said Alabama made sense. First off, I'm just going to flat out fucking so, say I never I, said Alabama made sense. Okay, this is so virgin confused. on Florida level the crazy. Me. Yeah, yeah. So you're allowed to you're caught with a gun and didn't use it. It considered, you know, it's probably a misdemeanor you know, having an, un, an unlicensed concealed weapon, right? Yep. But, um, you know, so that's, that's messed up. Really but there up. are enhancements. You know, like there are violent crime enhancements. So even right. if there is castle doctrine, you could still get charged. You know, you might get thrown out in court. But if you are, you know, say in the very liberal parts of the state, like Huntsville, Birmingham, Montgomery, uh, you know, places that are, are very liberal, you know, you could still get charged. And you still got to go through all that fucking hassle. So you're still going to have these enhancements. And what district attorneys love right. to fucking do is they like to try and offer you plea bargains. So that way they can still show a guilty verdict on their record. Uh, but still, you know, they, they know it's not going to win a trial. But, you know, when you're looking at 25 years in, in prison versus, you know, 10, you know, and getting out in three years with good behavior. Or, you know, that's or very tempting. a lot of times probation, but you don't get to own a gun. Like, exactly. That's the deal that I see around here on a lot of gun cases is we'll give you probation, but it's felony. It's going to be a felony. So you're going to be a restricted person moving forward. Yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, the whole – it's interesting because you talk about those enhancements and how you might get in more liberal parts of the state. I'm in one of the most conservative parts of Colorado, Colorado Springs, you know, big military town, fourth judicial district. They always build themselves as super conservatives, super pro-family, pro-gun. Um, everybody gets charged. Yeah. Everybody is period. And, you know, um, period. It's it's just that's what they do. And they think, you know, either A, I'm just doing my job or B, well, if this guy shot somebody, he shouldn't have a gun. Well, maybe he had a reason to shoot somebody. It could have been a justifiable shooting, but they'll charge it before the end. Well, and something that I will say, and if there's any attorneys listening to this in Alabama that want to charge you know wants to to try the constitutionality of this you know voting rights that you know alabama passed a very strict voting rights bill uh a few years ago where you have to have an id to vote now right. the reason the reason that they kind of got around that is because the state literally gives free voting ids they will come to your house and print you out a voting id at your house so that way you do not have to even leave your couch because you know, it, it's it's really considered smart. it's considered you know that that essential of a right. 
but you have to get out of your house, but you may not have the means to either leave your house or pay for a pistol permit. You know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? Voting rights versus gun rights. One, you know, is enumerated in the second amendment. Voting rights is enumerating what in the 14th amendment, uh, you know, one you get for free. You don't even have to leave your house. One you have to pay. You know whatever the sheriff decides in right. your county, and you have Just to leave your house. Just reinforces it being a second class right. Exactly. So right, and that that reinforces that fact. The law compares between rights. It never has, and that's you know it's one of the issues of government. Government very quickly here in America starts working for government instead of for the people. So the courts the courts are never going to say this right is not applied to this right. They're going to use some other basis. So that's, um, you know, that's just something you have to keep in mind in courts is the logical process is not going to be the logical process the court applies. Absolutely. And just the uh, two articles in reference to that uh, assault weapons ban being ruled unconstitutional came from uh, Recoil and uh, Emiland. So take a look if you want to look. It's a 94-page uh, opinion. Uh, there are some highlights cut out and put in those articles. Uh, yep. And... I definitely recommend that you go read it. And, and there the reason- is one over on Just Pews that I put up. It has a whole bunch. Like, there's a couple other quotes that I'm not seeing in these articles. Um, one of them is actually from the magazine, uh, lifting the magazine ban from 2019 from one of the other judges that Trump actually appointed, which is a really good quote. Shameless plug, but yeah, it's in yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the reason I said exactly, <laughs> and, and I say that this is probably going to have uh, reverberating effects, especially in California, because this article from Emiland and the title is California gun tax bill defeated on floor, but revived by procedural move. Now, basically what this is, it was assembly bill 1223, AKA the ton, the gun tax bill. It was defeated on the floor because it did not receive the necessary two thirds vote. And what this would have done is it would have placed a 10% sales tax on all handguns and for a place a 11 side 11 excise tax on the sale of all long guns rifles farm precursor parts and ammunition now does this possibly have you know was this you know cause versus correlation in regards to this being defeated in the you know ninth circuit with the assault weapons ban you know does california even give a fuck that they're passing unconstitutional you know laws you know it's interesting well, it, it's interesting, you know. It, it starts to look pretty fucking bad when you're passing all these gun constitution, you know, gun control bills. I shouldn't say gun constitution, but gun control bills, uh, and they're all getting turned down by the Ninth Circuit, which has been historically known as a liberal circuit. Now, of course, it's right. been the same judge, Judge Benitez, every time. Uh, but with the gun magazine, I think you know it went. Judge Benitez knocked it down. Then it went to the three judge panel. And it was knocked down. And now it's going before the full judge panel. So maybe California is seeing that, oh, shit, all of our stuff is starting to, you know, get knocked down. And we're starting to look like we can't, well, they can't run a fucking state, period. But it looks like that, you know, they are, you know, even politicians, as crooked as they fucking are, don't want to be the person who authors a bill that gets struck down and seen as unconstitutional. That's Yeah, I I mean, I hope they see that. Um, I, I I look at you know, a lot of politics, and I think they're proud to defy the honestly. Um, but I, I, I really do. Um, the interesting thing in California is all the my brain just dumped. Um, crap. But yeah, they will keep passing laws probably as long as they can. Um, and it's it's one of those things where there's no consequence for them to keep passing unconstitutional laws. There just haven't been. 
The voters haven't been holding them accountable. But something that can help in states like is, you know, this this aspect of gun culture 2.0, like so-called woke. Um, people of color are realizing being armed is beneficial to them, and being armed legally is also beneficial to them because it keeps them out of, you know, out of trouble. And they know that in states like California, those neighborhoods are heavily patrolled. Um, so it's in their interest to do things exactly right. Um, so woke gun culture can actually be a tool that we use to push liberal politicians away from gun control um, because it's just an equal it's just an equality thing. Um, gun laws are enforced on the poor. The poor are very often people of color, especially in these major urban areas. So that's that's a two harness um, in states like California. Um, states that have a large minority population, uh, to force the liberal people in the state houses to realize, you know, this is not having the effect that you desire. This is actually an economic drain communities that you say you're trying to help. Um, so I think that kind of stuff is actually more important to them than whether or not they're passing something unconstitutional. Absolutely. And, and that's something I don't think people realize, and at least in my state, you know, if, if you don't if you don't know who the fuck uh, Roy Moore is, he used to be the Supreme Court justice in Alabama twice. Uh, first time he was kicked out because of the Ten Amendments, uh, Ten Commandments statue, and that cost the that. state fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it wasn't enough to where uh, he wasn't elected a fucking second time. Because I tell people, you know, this this state is is such in the Bible Belt that it you could, you know, fucking. Roy Moore could have killed somebody on TV and still 30% of the state is going to vote for him just because what he did for the Ten Commandments. But a lot of people, he failed in the Senate run. He failed, you know, even though he was defeated uh, by what's-his-face, the fucking Democrat that just got voted out. Uh, He was defeated in Senate. He was defeated for uh, governor and all that kind of stuff just because the fact that people remembered how fucking bad it made the state look because we were doing shit unconstitutionally and how much money right. it cost the state so that shit yeah. does reverberate uh, that makes sense that makes sense i remember um for senate man that was just a, a mess god that was so fucking that was mess. that was so dumb but you know i don't even know about <laughs> oh jesus this guy so lead the way <laughs> <man>. you love me <laughs> this guy so he was he was like i said he was the chief supreme court justice for the state of alabama for fucking years uh, and then he put a humongous fucking statue of the Ten Commandments in the Alabama Supreme Court. Well, it was like the ACLU or the SPLC. Somebody uh, ended up, you know, challenging it, saying that it was, you know, an operation, uh, separation of actually, church and state. Actually, this is funny, but it was a, a collaboration, if I remember correctly, between the ACLU and TST, which is the Satanic Temple. Um, Sounds about which, right. Yeah. People that don't know much about the team, the TST is really interesting because they're actually an almost completely secular organization. They don't really worship anything, but they try and they try and make you know any cases. Um, but this was one of those where they saw a really clear issue and jumped on it. Yeah, so uh, it was shot down. Said he had to to remove it, uh, and he said you know he didn't say fuck you, but he basically you know did it with his actions and kept it up there. There's people fucking from all around the country. You know, did human chains around it so nobody can move it. And I think it was moved finally in the dead of the night. But, I mean, it ended up costing the state like over half a million dollars, I think, in fines. Uh, and then he ran for governor like once or twice, lost. He ran uh, as Supreme Court justice again and won because he is a very smart person. I've actually met him several times uh, in person. Uh, and the only reason I met him is because, uh, one, 
his son was in my one of his sons. He's got two sons. Both are fucked up. But uh, one of his sons was in my army unit, and people okay. always gave him shit. And then uh, he actually went to my gym for the longest time. And I will tell wow. you this: he gets it. That motherfucker PT'd harder than anybody else in that gym, even people half his age. I think he was seventy years old, and he was fucking busting. I mean. That dude was physically fit. I'll just say that. Like he was, he was correct. making me That's look a Chad bad. move, correct? He was, he was making me look bad. <laughs> so I mean, and the, we've had conversations and shit. And I mean, he's he's a brilliant person. But anyway, when he was uh, Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice, the next time uh, he ended up getting fired because uh, he wouldn't recognize gay marriage birth, uh, gay marriage certificates, uh, yep. and he and he put out stuff. So he was removed a second time, and then he ran for Senate. Uh, when old Jeff Sessions uh, became the attorney general and he Doug Jones, that's who is the fucking guy, the Democrat. He ran against Doug Jones and it came out that he was hitting on chicks uh, that were under 18. Uh, but even to this day, the, the age of consent for Alabama is 16. So a 40 year old uh, could have sex with a 16 year old and it'd be perfectly legal as long as he didn't solicit it over the Internet, because that's that's the only hitch in the giddy up. Uh, right. So that, he got in trouble for that and uh, some shit. Jesus. So this is the was, wild world we live in. I'm he telling you, well, well over since we're documented too. Like it's it's very like whoa, whoa, what are you doing, guy? You know. Yeah. Well, and his um, wife was young as shit too. And and if you look at you know when they got married and all that kind of stuff and their stories of how long they dated, like she was under 18 when they started dating. So. Oh wow. It could be worse. It could be like that guy from fucking Virginia. Which one? Yeah. The one that the the convicted sex offender that got uh fuck is he in I think he's in Congress basically he he, he fucked his seventeen year old secretary oh my god got con- got convicted of, of sexual misconduct uh, right. and then they still elected him so Virginians literally elected a child fucker like man huh. And politicians are a mess. I'll get back around to that. That's just the bottom line. The people who are attracted to politics are a mess. Um, what I found about um, his refusal, one, to take down the Second the second Amendment, the Ten Commandments statue, and two, to have the county clerks recognize you know, marriage certificates for gay couples. Um, if you're going to be the state Supreme Court, the head of the state Supreme Court, the chief justice, and then you're going to openly defy rule of law, um, that's that's pretty terrible it really is but i mean it's kind of funny how that won't fly down in alabama but it flies every single day over in california yeah yeah i mean the courts the courts should rule you know based on law and morality ideally but in the end they're there for rule of law and and when the court process starts breaking down that is an invitation to violence the bad places in the world don't have effective courts and that's one of the reasons they're bad places you know so are you saying that California is a bad place? Yes. Yes. Someone finally why, said it. reason why people are fleeing that thing like a fucking plague. I mean, um, the taxation, taxation, the environmental laws, everything there is so It is People just have no idea until they've met people who have lost their businesses. Um, I've met people since COVID. Who, you know, they just got ruined by state edicts, not even laws. Literally, it's random pronouncements on bureaucrat or the governor. Um, ruined people, and that's not just the case in California. Um, but California, all kinds of extremes, and the California DOJ 
Blast is all too happy to gut stomp you for not listening. So that is one of the – I think, you know, New Jersey and New York are probably just as bad. But in California, with their huge population, it's really obvious. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get into this next story. The next story is comes to us from Ameland, and this is also another great uh, legal story for you, Cole. But FPC files brief and appeal challenging gun ban for nonviolent misdemeanor conviction. Uh, basically, what happened is and this is Williams v. Garland. Uh, Williams, uh, he was found guilty of a DUI, a second DUI in 2005 which upgraded it to a first-degree misdemeanor, which I uh, guess it carries up to a five-year imprisonment, so it would be, I guess, go ahead. That would be a a felony. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If it's over a year, it's a felony to everybody else. Uh, However, he was never imprisoned. Uh, He was just placed under house arrest for 90 days. He was able to pay court costs and a fine of $1,500, and he completed a recommended drug and alcohol treatment program under the mandatory minimum sentence. But because of that, he is a prohibited person, and uh, he is considered by the federal government not allowed to purchase a firearm for the rest of his life. And this is kind of something we were talking about earlier. So uh, this is something that they just filed. I really 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 hope this goes through uh and i you know i'm a firm believer if you finish your time say you know you're you're sentenced to 10 years and you do you know two years in jail and eight years probation whatever it may be as soon as that 10 years is over you should be considered a rehabilitated person and restored all rights to your you know whatever, whatever a regular person gets voting firearms and- usage whatever it may be you know, this is interesting because a lot of politicians are really hard on crime, right? But a lot of police officers absolutely agree with you and with me. I'm 100% with you on this issue. Um, absolutely agree that returning people to full citizenship status is the best way to prevent recidivism. Um, but a lot of conservative politicians, you know, they're all back to blue, back to blue. They don't hear that opinion, but they will hear that opinion whenever, you know, the Sheriff's Association says we should not be in favor of constitutional carry. So that's a huge point of interest for me um, is, you know, that sort of rule of law thing. If people have their time, the price, like let them back into society. We prevent them from holding real jobs. And a lot of times we force them because they can't work in a lot of capacities. They end up in poverty, they match parts of town legally, and then they get slammed just for that. End up back in, you know, um, to me, that's terrible. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, if you, if you do your time, like you know, if, if you get sentenced to 10 years and you only do two years probation, when you get out in this two years, you know, I'm not saying everything right then and there, because according to the law, you still have right. eight years. But Your after that 10 down. years, exactly. After those 10 years, you're, you're good to go, man. You've done, you, you know, especially if you kept your nose clean, you didn't get put back yep. in prison for anything, you know, right. so you're rehabilitated at that point. Yep. So. And we spend millions and billions of dollars to rehabilitate people. And then when they get out, we try like trash. Yeah, it's like, what's the point of giving them some schooling in jail, you know, for them to get an associate's, a bachelor's, or whatever, and then when they get out, their their record follows them, and then they aren't able to qualify for any of the jobs that they, they work towards getting into, because, yeah, you, know, you get what I'm saying. And that's something yeah, I, I think, I think that sh- expungement should probably be enforced as well in a lot of these rulings for, uh, you know, not especially nonviolent offenders. Uh, I think it's expungement yeah. after your time, because like you said, Mike, I mean, as soon as you get out, if you have that felony in your record, automatically you are discounted from many jobs, you know, and that's, uh, you know, a shame, yeah. especially if you've stayed out of trouble, you've gone and 
done the work to make yourself better by getting, you know, uh, a trade, um, you know, certification or a degree, whatever it may be, you know, and that's why you, you know, a lot of these, especially a lot of jobs like, you know, oil rigs and truckers and, or whatever it may be, you know, they always are considered, you know, kind of rough and bad people because those are the only kind of jobs people with felonies can get. But, you know, I think that shouldn't be the case. If you did your time and especially for like this guy, got a DUI, did his yep. time, you know, especially if there was no injury, like he didn't hit somebody's car, injure somebody or anything like that expungement. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like what cool was saying, you know, eventually they're going to, they're probably going to go back into be living in poverty or sub sub part of poverty. They're going to have a gun illegally. Then they're going to get caught with it. Then they're going to get charged with, it, and then they're going to go to jail again. And by not letting them uh, be fully reinstated as citizens after they, they, do their time it just creates the vicious cycle and then everyone wants to go well why are they why do they continue to 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 commit these crimes and 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 keep going back to jail i mean we're doing we're doing all these things where we're giving them schooling and everything it's like well i mean proof is kind of in the pudding they went to go apply to yeah. fuck best buy to be a salesman and because they got the marijuana charge on them well best buy is not going to fucking hire them that's exactly right Absolutely. And next article uh, comes to us from Amlan and also comes to us from Farms News. Uh, did either of you guys watch the David Chipman hearings or see whoa, at whoa, least whoa, the highlights? What 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 was I supposed to watch? Yeah. David <laughs> David Chipman. Uh, he is the ATF nominee from Biden. And if you aren't familiar with who this guy is, uh, he's a big old piece of shit. Uh, he was a lobbyist for the Gu the Giffords Gun Control Group after he retired from the ATF. Uh, and in his hearing, he made it known that he believes, you know, AR-15 style rifles uh, should be banned. Uh, there should be magazine limitations, all kinds of gun control shit. In my opinion, about what he was saying was he was like, you know, anything that's larger than than a 22 caliber should be banned. It's like, okay, but technically speaking, dude. Like I, I know you aren't this smart up here, but technically speaking, five five six is twenty two cal. Technically speaking, so technically, what you're saying is the AR fifteen <laughs> would still be legal under yeah. what you want to believe. I mean, but he keeps talking. He keeps talking and talking, and basically anything with a little magazine that's self loading, he would ban. Period. Absolutely, yeah, and it's just I, I love and, I love how he goes. Well, I was issued AR fifteen in the ATF. It's like. Really? I really, I really wish you hadn't been. Well, yeah, but wouldn't he have been like, like I don't know anything about what their issue, but wouldn't he have been issued some like an M4, something that had a giggle switch, not just semi-automatic? Yeah, in the in the nineties, it would have it would have been some sort of full auto. Um, it probably would have been allowed to have a flash suppressor and all that, which people wouldn't have been able to get. Yeah. So technically. So technically, he doesn't even know what weapon he was issued. Which no, nah, he was probably issued like a M16A2 or some shit like that. Yeah. Or. Uh, I mean, we could actually look from Waco as holding. Yep, um, there you go. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Give me, give me a few seconds here. Has uh, anyone been able to confirm that that was actually him in those pictures? I've done a lot of fucking digging, and I've seen pictures of him from the same time. And I'm telling you, you know, I mean, if it's not him, you know, I know all white people look alike is what I'm told, man. So, you know, it, <laughs> it's, it's hard to hard to say. But, I love uh, how he, and I'm not trying to cut you off, but so I just love how he whatever, nonchalantly said, whatever you know, thank you. Whatever he's holding in the yeah. Waco, uh, the weapon he's holding has a woodstock and some kind of magnification. So it's not an AR in that picture, but, um, hmm, yeah, for what it's worth. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I loved how he just nonchalantly said, you know, uh, uh, Senator Cruz, I think, yeah, Senator Cruz, thank you for the Dr. Pepper. It really reminded me of my time down in Southern yes. Texas. It's like, Jesus dude, fuck, did man. you just, did you just literally say that to rub that in everyone's dude, faces that you burn kids alive? The historical figure that most of is absolutely Himmler. I mean, to the T, just sociopathic, doesn't care about humans. I have a humanity, like he is that guy. Yeah. Um, my, like, I don't have a problem with like, like, like politicians or people w- w- that are going to be being put into a place of power having their own opinions. My problem is, is when they've actively contributed to an organization just as just, such as Giffords. And then they're right. going to be put into place of power that controls that particular subject. In, imagine, you know, any other presidency that we've had. When they're appointing someone to one of these high offices, if that person has had any kind of negative press or scandal at all, like they may look for people who share their opinion, you know, as they appoint them. But they also look for people who are squeaky clean so that when the Senate is grilling them, they don't have stuff to base their question. Um, this guy's record is atrocious. I mean, he um, is very clearly a political plant. At the same time, it shows how aggressive this administration is in their gun control plan um, because he's not squeaky clean. They could have found somebody who thinks exactly like he who has a squeaky clean, like I've never really done anything, but I've been in positions and I have bureaucratic experience and I've been in law enforcement. I've done all these different things, blah, blah, blah. But no, they chose this guy to make. They chose this guy to say, "We will come to where you are. We'll kill you to enforce our laws." Absolutely, and just like you said, I mean, you know, look at the shit mm-hmm. that David Gorsuch went through whenever he was being uh, nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. Just an yeah. allegation. Just an allegation. And, and you know, not saying if the you know the allegation is true or, or whatever it may be that it's. Sorry, I think it's my fucking doorbell went off. Anywho, but uh. <laughs> You know, whether it's not true or not, you know, the allegation is is still shitty. But we have it had nothing to do with with his job. You know, it had nothing to do with how well he he did on his opinions, his law, all that kind of stuff. But this stuff, I mean, for him, it shows that he really is anti-gun, that he really is, uh, you know, all these things. He's gone and said it. He's gone and done it when he worked for the Giffords Gun Control Group. But this is who he's going to work for. This directly correlates with his job that he's going to be doing as the head of the ATF. And fucking silence from the media. Silence. They don't give oh, two yeah. shits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they, never, they never care when it doesn't benefit them. Absolutely. That's clear. I mean, the narrative the narrative from top down is so manipulated at this point. Um, you know, I like the idea, and is also a journalist, it's an idea that gives the individual, the power to share the news that he sees around him. Um, but citizen journalists, you know, guys like you and me who are trying to talk about these bigger national, we don't have access to senators and to, you know, congressmen, to the president, um, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to the heads of huge law enforcement bodies. We don't have access. So we have to, to a large established media front, and they're really just letting us. Absolutely. Speaking of a, and I just kind of want to throw this in here just because it's a ridiculous story. This comes to us from Firearms News. Who remembers Mike McCloskey? I uh, do. Pink shirt guy. Pink shirt guy. Fucking Rambo. He is <laughs> jumps into the U.S. Senate race. Oh, uh, so I don't know what is expecting okay. from this. Memes. How is he running at Republicans? Uh, this is coming from uh, Farms News, and I am not seeing a political party that he is associated with. I'm assuming if he's smart and based on what happened, 
uh, he would run as Republican. But we know for a fact that he, uh, you know, was donating yeah. to Democrats yeah. and he, all that kind of stuff. I mean, and so he's been waist waist deep in the Democratic Party. Is yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just fucking flat out saying, man, Donald Trump. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then the last article in the main segment, and this is kind of talking about the gun, uh, the gun war, gun control culture war, I should say. Uh, and this comes to us from our, uh, Emma Land. We're going to kind of just briefly talk about it. I got the uh, links early to Mike, so he could put it on justpews.com. Yes. Uh, but the title of it is Taking Back the Fake Language from Gun Grabbers. I thought this was interesting because here is a whole list of uh, definitions that, you know, obviously they really like to use. Assault weapon. Uh, true assault weapons uh, use intermediate length cartridges and are capable of select fire. Uh, this is a rough translation of the German Sturmgewehr, and modern AR does not meet this definition. Assault weapons ban, mainstream media, gun buybacks, gun violence, loopholes, pro-gun, anti-gun, gun rights. All this stuff is in here, including high-capacity magazines, permitless carry, concealed carry permit, all this kind of stuff. This is stuff that I think that you really need to use and have uh, in your lexicon whenever you have a, a debate. I'm not going to say an argument, but a debate with people or if you try to educate them. Because if you say, you know, somebody said, well, I think we don't need to have our AR-15s. Well, and then you say, well, assault weapons are common use. Well, no, they're not. Modern sporting rifles are common use. You know, you need to use the proper verbiage whenever you are talking to these people. Because if you say a high-capacity magazine uh, or a high-capacity clip when you're talking about magazine limits, uh, you're incorrect. Because the only thing that I can think of that's high-capacity is maybe a 100-round drum. Uh, 30-round magazines are standard-capacity magazines for an AR-15-type rifle. So that is something that you need to know. And this is a great article... Go ahead. So I'm with. I, I do agree. It's important to use the right lingo, but I also think guns are meant to hurt people, and you are meant as and to have the power to hurt people. Should you be using it recklessly? No, but the citizen is meant to have the power. Um, Absolutely. Oh yeah, and I mean, there's like there's very few guns that were even designed to not be deadly. There's very few of those, and there's even fewer calibers that were designed not to be deadly. Like every single gun almost has be, been designed for one thing to incapacitate an attacker effectively. Like, you don't yep. want a caliber or or a firearm that's going to just maim someone and then they're in, in, in pain. You want it to be as humane as possible, just like we do with an animal. Not even not even that, but I'm not going to, if someone comes into my home, I'm not going to, like, throw a dart and piss them off. Like, that's the equivalent of a gun that's not going to incapacitate them, is yep. throwing a dart or a base, you know, pitcher. So... Obviously, that would be a very ineffective to defend myself. Um, the bottom line is it has to be powerful enough to stop an attacker. Um, and it also has to be powerful enough to stand up to the government. The intent of the Second Amendment was not a guy breaking into your house, frankly. That was such a given that you'd be able to defend yourself in that situation. They weren't even thinking about that when they wrote the Amendment. They wrote the Second Amendment so that individual private people could own warships and cannons and all the things that you need to be on equal terms to Uncle Sam. Oh, yeah, I mean, at the time, the naval fleet for the United States was mostly made up of private ships, if I remember correctly. Absolutely, Absolutely man. Letters of mark, private ships, all that's all there. Now, I would go on to say, like, like, beyond just knowing the terminology, like the proper terminology, 
you need to be able to have cited sources to share with the person that you're arguing with. Because one of the things that I've experienced when debating gun laws with individuals that are anti-gun, they always want your sources. And try to make sure that your sources aren't ones that are easily attacked for credibility. For instance, um, don't, don't pull a statistic from Gun Owners of America and share that URL with them. Take the statistic you find from Gun Owners of America, find where they got yes. that statistic from, and use that citation and not Gun Owners of America. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I learned that just today from uh, that meme uh, where more people died from shoving shit up their ass in 2020 than AR-15s did in the last five years. I can yeah. tell you, I never thought how quickly people would be like, what's your citation? Where, where's your what's source? What's your citation for that? Yeah, what's your I source? got one for stairway accidents. I actually, like, this is an interesting one I found yesterday. Um, was that basically in a 23-year study, and I think Kalyan Noir actually covered this in a video. In a 23-year study, it was found that on average, people are injured by stair accidents um, one million or more times a year. But then firearm injuries, and this doesn't, like, they don't differentiate firearm injuries from non-lethal attacks and just accidental injuries are only between, like, 100 and 150,000 a year. So technically speaking, you are more likely to be injured by falling down the stairs than you are by any firearm ever. There's yeah. so many more guns than there are stairwells. I mean, like, it's, it's funny to me to compare these kinds of statistics because, you know, I think guns out in America, uh, I really do. Yeah. Um, people estimate there's anywhere from 200 million to 400 million guns. I bet you nobody, you know, ever recorded before the NFA passed and before states started their stupid registration schemes and background checks. I'm willing to bet there's closer to, you know, 600 or 800 million guns in the United States. Um, yeah, especially, especially with home, especially home builders. Yeah, and, and I... Uh, not to cut you off, I mean, like, like especially when you look at states like Wyoming, where, where the ownership rate is like one thousand or what is a thousand guns per or no a hundred guns per one thousand residents or something like that. It's the highest rate of ownership in the United States, and then you have states like New York City where, and that's with registered guns, and then you have yeah. states like New York where it's like three guns per one thousand residents. Yeah, like that's just, just not like, realistic. Yeah, no, there's no way that's realistic. No way. No way. And, and it's, it's just one of those things where people um, are aware that a gun is dangerous and most people are fairly, even gangbangers, man, they don't have a tendency to accidentally hurt people with their guns. They may, you know, have a drive-by shooting or something and do a purposeful act, but it's one of those things where, you know, we think of them as, you know, criminals or whatever, but they're still statistically not people accidentally. It's not the gun that's the problem. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. One police put out an article. I forget when this was. I found this one yesterday, too, though, where basically they found out that the criminals they were they were questioning in terms of how much how how frequently they believe police are practicing. Those criminals were actually practicing more on average with their firearms than the police were. Sounds about right, honestly. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Yeah. Police and firearms. Um, Yeah, you're right about that. I mean. (laughs) You would know, wouldn't you, Nick? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, nothing personal, but every time I see the cops at EPA match, I know I'm going to be in the top half. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, uh, you hadn't shot with me. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to yeah, say. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not personal. All right, <laughs> I'm making this public. I'm yeah. going to put. Oh, jeez. Jeez, Rick. Who am I going to put money on? I think I'm going to put money on Cole here. Oh, actually. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm going to put ten on Cole, and then I'm also going to put. 20 on Nick because I don't like losing. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're hedging your bets. Like, there that's you very go. Political. Thank you. But, Thank you. Uh, I should run for Congress. <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing. One of the you know the wide variety of firearms there are, right? So I'm willing to bet you know, there is a type of firearm that you know something about that I absolutely have never heard of before. This is absolutely false. There's probably really well that you know other people haven't handled. Like that's just, the gun world is huge, and that's that's one of my favorite things about it. You know, of course on the internet we say post V8. I think you switch the camera because right now we're looking at something pink. His crotch, his thong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think my camera died. Oh, that sucks. Well, we'll start we'll start wrapping up. Let's go ahead and get into the uh, fucking. Oh, there's your, oh, there, there, there's there your thigh. The there you go. Yeah, that is. So I turned it to work. There it is. <laughs> All right. All right. With that, let's go ahead and start getting into the gun gear news and reviews. All right, with that, I got a couple things to talk about, and if y'all have anything, feel free. I actually got some reviews myself. So uh, with, and, and it's so fucking dumb. I ordered this shit like maybe three weeks ago, uh, and there was no ammo to be found whatsoever. But I just went this weekend. It's like Academy, uh, not like two or three days after Truck Day hit, and there's ammo on the shelf. But anyway, so I got some uh, some like airsoft guns to practice movements and drills and shit. Uh, in the backyard, and that's something else I could do it in my backyard instead of having to drive like 30, 40 minutes to the gun range uh, where I can do it. So uh, I got a Umerix, uh Glock 19X, uh, and then I got a Crossman uh, AR-15, I think it's 2 is what it's called, or M42, something like that. And I got some USPSA IDPA targets. I made some stands. Uh, I also got this cool little spinning star and uh, little gong targets that, uh, you know, fall down and you pull the cord, pull them back up. And I set up a little, uh, you know, setting up a little course in my in my backyard, basically, where I could do drills. I put down cones, you know, practice my foot movements and, you know, drills while I'm moving, all that kind of stuff. And I've got to tell you, man, those the Umerics and that Crossman is really well. Uh, the Umerics I got for like around 100 bucks, and the Crossman I got on sale for like 120 Got an extra magazine for both, so that way I could try, uh, you know, magazine changes, kind of see how that works. Uh, the magazines were, I think, 40 bucks a piece. They use the CO2 cartridges, and I mean, so far they're super fucking nice. They're really, you know, full blowback. Uh, you know, functions just the same. I got uh, just like a cheap ass uh, Magpul sling for the uh, the Crossman M4 replica. And so far, I gotta say, I'm I'm pretty impressed. I know, uh, Mike, you were talking about this that you were wanting to do a review article on it. Uh, yeah, I'm wanting to. I still need to get mine ordered. Actually, like I've been, I've been, I've been uh, procrastinating on quite a few things, including getting like a 19x or a G45 BB replica. Yeah, and then uh, something else that I uh, got myself. Uh, it's in full disclosure. This buddy gave it to me, uh, and it's his own company. Uh, it's 1350 Millworks, and basically what that is is they are a company, and I'm actually trying to design a uh, a med kit uh, that you you know fill your own, obviously, but it's something you can attach to your plate carrier. Uh, it's something I'm trying to design with them as well, but. They uh, gave me a little strap that has some molly and, and some Velcro. And basically what it is, this secures your sling uh, to your rifle 
you know, that if you are putting it in the bag or if you're putting it in your vehicle to transport something like that to where your sling can be readily available. Uh, again, you know, this was, this was given to me. Uh, the MSRP on it is, uh, I want to say, and he's making, he's making a shit ton more stuff. Uh, so go check him out. 1350 Millworks. Uh, the MSRP of it is just under $30. And it's a little high for you know a little piece of cloth that wraps around with some Velcro, uh, but it, it's good quality material. Uh, I mean, I've seen him go through the process of getting stuff from the manufacturer. All of his stuff is American-made. That's something that he is very proud of. It's probably why it's a little bit more expensive as well. All of his stuff's American-made. When he gets it in, he makes sure that you know the materials that he sends to the manufacturer is of good quality. When he gets it back, he makes sure that what's given back to him is of good, good quality. Uh, and it's pretty neat. Uh, like I said, it's a pretty neat little product. Uh, something else that's come out is the Company Boot 3.0 from 5.11 Tactical. Uh, now, I have some 5.11 shoes. Uh, now, these are basically look like work boots uh, that are uh, not shoelaceless, I guess you could say. They don't have any shoelaces. Uh, so there's some the stretchy material on the side. Uh, they look almost more like, you know, I said cowboy work boots, I guess you could say. Uh, these things are pretty good. I've had these before myself. Uh, paid with my own money on it. They're about a hundred bucks. Uh, definitely check them out. Five Eleven makes great footwear. It's some of my most favorite footwear. Them and Victos are my favorite. Uh, and the next thing that's come out is Sig Sauer has announced the full size P320 AXG Pro. Now this is going to be expensive as shit probably. Uh, I think I saw the price point on another article. I think is what it was because I don't see it here. Uh, it's got click on that. You know, speaking of the Five Eleven, I had myself muted because I'm a dumbass. Um, the only thing that I really don't like about 5.11 Tactical is the fact that they always put the little uh, cloth thing that has their logo on it. It's like, okay, well, I'm trying to be discreet here, and you guys kind of just killed that for me. Eh, it, it is what it is. You'll get over it. I promise you. I mean, I, I use a lot of uh, Duluth Trading Company stuff, you know, because I can get super comfortable rugged jeans or whatever, and they don't look, quote, tactical, but... Yeah. Those magazine pouches on those 511 range day, I'm sorry. It's just, it's awesome. They're comfortable. Yes. And the Vertex like, pants, though. You know, like, <laughs> it is invaluable. It really is. It's so nice. <laughs> and I think the sent me, the link sent me to Brownells. It's probably some sort of uh, affiliate link, but the AXG Scorpion is $1,100, so I'm assuming that's probably how much that SIG is going to be. Uh, I mean, it's pretty nice. I mean, it looks a lot like uh, some of their uh, 220 series grips, it looks a little bit different than uh, like yeah. even the X series grips. Uh, it's got uh, ported rail. It's uh, optic ready. Now, something I like about this that I wish they would do with all their others, like the uh, M17s, is if you decide to install an optic, you do not lose your rear sight. So the optic cut is front of the rear sight. This should just, you know, it should be standard. I'm a little oh. biased on this. Yeah, I've never understood why companies remove the rear sight for an optic. It's like you still kind of need that, guys. Like, yeah, it's and you know even if the optic blocks it, if you're shooting two eyes open, it's still a sight, you know, for emergencies, even if it's not suppressor height. So that's one of those things that I wish more people would keep it there. Um, in regards to the, um, I recently got to shoot the X5 Legion 320, and um, Jesus, that is a nice, nice, nice gun. Um, shoots a lot better than the M17s I've tried. 
So if you get a chance to fire one of those, jump on it. Yeah, my administrator where I work's got one. It is super nice. And, you know, this is something I think that SIG is doing well on that Smith & Wesson kind of dropped the ball on. Uh, and Smith & Wesson also dropped the ball on it because they've had some, uh, you know, like some corporate changes. And they also focus on revolvers uh, a lot as well. But, you know, Smith & Wesson, they could have really have developed so much better of a pistol if they kept on developing with the M&P. You know, they've come out with the M&P Pro, they've come out with the M&P 2.0, but shit, the 320's been out, what, like five or six years now in full effect, and look how much upgrades and variations and refinements the 320 has gone. You know, there's been some growing pains in there, but, I mean, SIG has thrown all their weight behind the 320, and I think the M&P should, or the Smith & Wesson should do the same thing with the M&P as well. You know, and I think you know, the only thing that's keeping the P320 from from overtaking Glock is the fact that one parts aren't everywhere yet, and and Sig seems to be trying to do something to accommodate that or to fix that. And magazines are forty dollars a pop. I can still go get Glock mags for like fifteen bucks. So and, you know, back to what you're saying about the performance center stuff. It's interesting to see, you know, all these options Smith and Wesson and Glock still just makes Glocks, and they're still probably successful overall than anybody else. And it's, I think that's really that Glock makes no effort whatsoever to do anything other than produce their most basic pistol. They let the ask everything else. It's um, like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A just makes chicken. <laughs> Glock just makes true. Glock. Everyone you know, wants both. That's true. Um, I shoot a lot of guns that I like more than Glock. Those guns because I have all these Glock mags. You know, <laughs> well, and like with me, I could pick up any Glock and shoot just as well as I would with my own personal Glock because a Glock's a Glock's a Glock's a Glock. You know, the Back. grip angle's the same. Tr- you know, unless you got some sort of you know crazy trigger in there, the, the trigger's the same. Everything is the same with a Glock. You know, whether it's a Glock 19, 17, 22, whatever it may be, it's all the same. What What I want is you know, computer genius guys to print me a 320 frame that'll take my Glock mags. And um, I'll rock yes, that all day. Yes. I'll rock that all day. <laughs> I, well, I, think, would, I would be a convert immediately. 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 I think you got to wait for the patent. Because isn't that what happened when Magpul started up uh, making Glock mags? Is that the patent ran out? And that's when um, Magpul yeah. started making it? So Probably give so. it some time. And you'll see that with uh, the the SIGs. Because uh, what was it? Uh, Tech Gear or whatever it may be. MagTech started making. Uh, I got, that's what I got a shit ton for my M&Ps that work just fine. Uh, they started making uh, you know, M&P copy magazines. Mechgar or? Yeah, Mechgar is what it was, I think. And you know they were cheaper. They were like, I think, 18 or 20 bucks when I bought them. They were on sale. Versus yeah. like 30 or 35 for a normal M&P mag. So, you know, give it some time, and um, I, I guarantee you that same thing will happen with SIG. I'd if you're love... interested in, a, in another so-called Glock killer like the B20 or the M&T, um, the Beretta APX, the mags are not expensive. They're under 20 bucks when you catch them on sale. So if you want to try that out, feel free. Um, I like mine a lot. Again, it's not a Glock. It is, so. Yeah. I'd really love to see uh, Nemo Arms finish the fucking Monarch. It's a striker-fired metal-framed handgun that takes P226 mags, and those are everywhere for cheap, cheap, cheap. And for now. For now. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I remember when I got... Man, 40 cal. I remember when I got my uh, PTR back in the day, sent me, or, like, sent me in uh, FN mags were cheap as hell, but now they're hard to get. You know, it's Dude, just yeah. kind of when that supply runs out, the price is going to go up. Yeah, you're yeah, and there. 
there's just nothing that's been production as long as Glocks have, and as many. And the mags are just, you know, it's an economy of scale thing. They seem to continuously get cheaper. Even right yeah. now when there's scarcity, there's still, I think you can get a new mag for 20, 25 bucks at any store. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, yep. it's, it, it's kind of crazy. I think it's because they did, they, like, they were able to really early on get all those guns into law enforcement hands, which really standardized the parts, it really standardized the mags, and that resulted in them paying off all the machining and the tooling faster, which equated to them being able to cut the costs everywhere for everyone. Absolutely. Sure. You, you guys got anything that you got recently that's pretty fucking cool that you want to talk about? Man, I haven't bought anything new in a while. I'm still really high on red dots on pistols. I'm trying different ones, and my favorite one's still the 507 from Ola Sun. Um, you know, and that's a, that's an old product, but I'm just really enjoying it. The thing that I like the shoot right now is McMark 22 507 on top. Fun. Um, so I haven't really really totally new stuff in at least a year. What about you, Mike? Oh, I mean, I don't really have anything that cool, but I did get this beauty right here, which you can't see. Yeah. Because of the overlay, but it's the uh, <laughs> let's, let's try to no no oh, oh there you go fucking yes Pokemon, no 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 sweet tooth pop from Twisted Metal. Jeez, that was an amazing yes. game back in the yes. day. Yes, and it, it's the black version, so it shows uh, sweet tooth from black hanging out the top of his truck like it was a T top with a knife in his hand. It's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> All right, with that, let's go ahead and start getting into the gun culture segment, wrapping this up. All right, in the gun culture segment, we're going to be talking about Angel Has Fallen. Uh, if you haven't watched this, it's a pretty good series. It's got Gerard Butler. It's got Morgan Freeman. It's got the, uh, well, it's, it's it's a trilogy. There was like Angel Has Fallen or Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, and Angel Has Fallen. Uh, this is out on, actually, Olympus Has Fallen and Angel Has Fallen. is out on Netflix. So if you have not seen this, go check it out on Netflix. Uh, but if you haven't, this set was you know released in 2019. Get with the fucking times. But there was a lot of good gun work in it, uh, a lot of cool guns in there, uh, and just talking about some of the guns. A lot of the guns we've already kind of talked about. There was uh, Sig 226s, uh, Sig 228, Glock 17s. Uh, there was HK P30. Uh, let me see when the hell that was. Uh, it doesn't say. Oh, there we go. Gerard Butler's got it actually. Uh, whenever. He is trying to break into the hospital. Uh, of course, you got a lot of HK MP5A3s. Uh, there is a modernized FEG NGM with a Fab Defense polymer handguard and a folding stock on the film. That's interesting as shit. Look at those. Yeah, that is sexy. one I wouldn't have seen. Yeah, that's actually that's, really sexy. Yeah, that's one that I completely missed until we looked at this. So, like I said, that's some good shit. Uh, LMT LM8 MWS, uh, which is used by Wade Jennings' uh, character in there. Uh, there's also a lot of M4A1s all throughout there. There's also a Blazer 93, uh, you know, bolt, simple bolt action gun uh, used by Gerard Butler's dad. Uh, and there's also an Accuracy International AX338 and an HK PSG-1. Uh, there's also M203A1 launchers, uh, grenades, the usual. So there's some pretty good gunplay in the movie. It's a pretty cool action game uh, movie. 
Uh, you know, it's a good story. You know, this is one where you, I don't think you have to watch the first two to pick up on the third. Uh, so if you just want to watch this one, you know, check it out. It's on Netflix. And in next episode, uh, we're going to have pretty much a good culture segment. I'm just going to go ahead and tease that we have a uh, author and a two-time Pulitzer Prize nominee uh, that is going to be interviewed on the show. Uh, Mike was not available for the interview, so uh, I was able to take care of it. But, you know, Mike, I don't know how well you could have done. Uh, it might be considered a snore fest to some of those people. Uh, <laughs> it is a book about John Moses Browning and his life. So there's going to be a lot of history in there, but there's a lot of cool facts that yeah, I don't even know sleepy. about. It, it's, it, you get sleepy, but it is pretty <laughs> interesting. Like I said... Uh, you know, I definitely went a little history nerd on it. Uh, you know, I did research. In this my man, he ordered the book like in a week and read it. It's like a 300 page book. I don't even read 300 pages. <laughs> I, I read in a it. Month. I read it in three days. To be honest with you, you fucking nerd. Hey, if, you, if it's interesting, you'll you'll burn it. That's how I am. Yeah, I, I, I mean, can read a book in an afternoon. Or- yeah, I normally go between about three to four a month. So I mean, it's just yeah, just kind of awesome. my thing. I like to, to exercise the brain, so uh, just a little tease on that. That's going to be part of the main segment. We still also have news as well, uh, so that way you know, maybe you won't be too bored about it. Maybe I'll give you a heads up <laughs> at Minute Marker or whatever the interview uh, for the book is, is over, but you know, definitely check it out, and uh, maybe you'll learn some shit. So with that, let's go ahead and start wrapping it up. Cole, I want to greatly appreciate you coming on to the show with me and Mike. Mike, I greatly appreciate you coming on for another episode, man. And I appreciate Dan from Silencer Shop coming on uh, and giving us uh, some information about suppressors, some cool stuff that's going on. Uh, not only with just suppressors, but Silencer Shop and the American Suppressor Association. Uh, Cole, where can they find any of your social media if you still have any left? Um, so I'm still on Instagram. Um, I think it's uh, just Instagram.com slash TDL underscore mas which was the name of the last facebook page that got nuked um so i'm there you can always if you have trouble finding me just reach out to tag cat or just i'm sure you'll point you to me um thanks for having me on guys i've been a minute since i've been on any podcast so it's um, been like i said the last time was uh high point with yeet gate so i mean it's like two years ago man it's been been a while yeah um i was on um, i think about a month maybe two months ago um so yeah that's that was the first one i've been on over in over six months so so it's good to get back out there a little bit talk to people if anybody has any you know interesting legal issues i can't advise you about them because i don't currently have malpractice insurance but i'm happy <laughs> to learn about them from you so um uh, stuff to look at uh, maybe i'll make a meme about it <laughs> absolutely memes are life <laughs> exactly that is the 21st That's- century communication right there dude i met i have met all of my best um honestly Amen to that. <laughs> that's why I met it, you it, two through. Funny. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, that's how I met you guys. That's how I met Ron. And Ron's been for a year, you know, like I met him because of me. It's a fact. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, go ahead and check out 2A Lifestyle and on social media, all social media. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe and leave a review if you can. It's the best way people to find us. If you want to support the show, you can check out on Patreon. Uh, and if you can't give anything, totally understand. People uh, are still recovering from the, the pandemic. Uh, if you can, share the podcast so that way people can reach out and find us. Uh, also, you can check out Mike at where? 
justuse.com. And you can uh, check out my new weapons media, uh, weapons mounted light versus handheld light uh, article there, hopefully within the next couple days. Yep. And you can send the hate if you want. Uh, tell me how I'm wrong. I, I'm, I'm more... Yeah, guys, guys, remember, it's not just Pews that posts this. Like, it's not just Pews' article, okay? This, this is the 2A Lifestyle <laughs> article, okay? So don't hold this yeah. one against me, okay? Yeah. This isn't tech hat writing. This, this is this is 2A Lifestyle. But I am more than welcome to admit when I'm wrong, if I'm wrong. But I feel like I'm fairly right with the article, so time will tell. Cole, you're going to have to read it and tell me what you think. Yes, sir. All right. Well, until then, I will see you guys in two weeks. And until then, keep on enjoying that 2A lifestyle. Appreciate it, buddies. Bye-bye. Thanks. Later. Later.